0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Back to Back Films podcast. This week, we're starting the first episode of what will be our ongoing masterclass series, covering Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown as our first films, focusing on Quentin Tarantino, um, his life before filmmaking, how he got his movies made, the movies obviously, and his his uh, kind of Tarantinoisms, kind of what he's been known for, and more. As always, in order to have the best discussion possible, we recommend that you watch the two films we'll be discussing before listening to the episode because of potential spoilers. I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And
1: I'm Jake. All right, guys. How you doing tonight? I'm stoked. It's Tarantino. I know. Me too. Like, I've been waiting. <laughs> We've been
0: saving it. We haven't touched a single one on purpose. Yeah, this is no. going to be
1: awesome. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm I'm super hang on. <laughs> that's I'm super excited. In there. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, you're in the podcast again. Uh anyway anyways, um yeah, I'm super excited too. Yeah, Tarantino is cool and not a film bro guy. So <laughs> that's cool. He's <laughs> totally not a film bro guy. No, he's not hundred percent that at
3: all.
1: <laughs> no,
2: this I'm really a- excited. Actually I hadn't seen Jackie Brown before and i i tried watching it before when i was a sophomore in college and i decided you know what this like 20 minutes in i was like this is boring i'm gonna play call of duty <laughs> so, oh so man I, <laughs> which is oh funny because like i know it, I, i'm the worst uh but you know i just i just started like discovering other types of filmmakers like like, David Lynch and stuff, and, like, you know, I'm, I, you know, sophomore in college, I wasn't well-versed in any sort of, I, you know, I was just kind of s- starting to figure it out, um, even what I wanted to do, now I still don't even know what the fuck I want to do, so, you know, whatever, but um the... this movie is just it's not as engaging as his other movies you know what I mean it's just not like for me Uh, and I felt that again when I watched it this time but I still really liked it and I still I still I think it's a great movie it's a really good I'm not trying to burn you guys are looking at me like I'm (laughs) totally ripping a new asshole into Tarantino but I mean like seriously it's not it's it's not (laughs) his most engaging movie it's just not but it's still really good it's still a really good homage to the black exploitation genre which is one of my favorite genres but well, um, let, let's let's save. I was pleasantly it. surprised. Let's save what you have to say for the end there. Yeah, I'll um, just, we can just copy paste it. I think that'll
3: <laughs> <laughs> just, we're, that just fine. Chunk <laughs> out. we're doing
2: opinions
0: first this time. <laughs> um, but no, I totally feel you, and that's stuff I want to cover when we actually get into Jackie Brown. Uh, it's definitely one of like considered one of his least popular movies. You know, Death Proof is probably the least popular. And it's definitely one where if someone tells you to watch Tarantino, they don't tell you to watch Jackie Brown. You know, they tell you to watch essentially any other
1: yeah, movie yeah. they made. So, Unless you're like a super like Tarantino hipster, then I feel I've, I've met a few people that are supposed to be you know all for Tarantino, and then and then they you know they, they're self-proclaimed, and then they. There you go. My personal favorite is Jackie Brown. Uh, it's, his, it's his most mature work as a director. That like, is the best. Come on. I want
2: to. <laughs> I want to meet this person, and I just, I just want to sit in a room and see how long I last. You know, it will be like, uh, like Guantanamo Bay for me. Like, I'll, you know, I'll just sit there
0: and just. Uh-huh, oh good. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we can get into that when we talk about it for sure. I,
0: I, I read an interview, or not an interview, it was an article that this guy wrote where he was making them. He basically said the same thing where this is his Tarantino at his most subdued, which let him be his most mature.
1: Which I don't understand that. People people say people, they use that interchangeably, you know, yeah. like subdued and mature. It's like oh, he went and he proved that he could make a film without violence. And, you know, it's like but, or without many, much violence, you know, so right. like. Yeah. So but it's like does that mean he's mature like some of the most like mature filmmakers their whole films are about violence not only is there violence in it but the film is about violence so it's like so by not talking about violence you're you're mature, you're mature? Like, it's weird. But, but yeah.
2: also, his response to Spike Lee about using the N-word in this movie <laughs> was not very mature. So he's, he's also <laughs> taken a step backwards, too. So he's, he's going both ways.
1: But, but he's, you know, he's defensive for his film. So I mean, I can yes. kind of see why he would probably... Because I don't think Spike Lee was saying anything too uh, nice as well, you know? No.
0: no Spike that whole, Lee basically the whole thing Tarantino. is just like
1: drama. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
0: It's just drama. It is, it totally and Spike yeah. Lee abhors uh Tarantino and his casual use of it. And then you have Samuel L. Jackson who will defend Tarantino like to the death.
1: Yeah. I know, it's crazy he, so who's worked with both directors. Exactly. Which right. is really cool. So. And I'm pretty
0: sure like Samuel Jackson and Spike Lee are like, you know, buddies, like th- yeah. they don't like hate each other. So yeah. it's interesting. And then yeah, Tarantino's kind of argument too where he's like, you know, I'm an artist, so I kind of deserve the right to touch on whatever I want to touch on, you know, yeah. whether or not that that's a legitimate reason. Right. Well, even yeah. what,
2: what he was saying, because I, I was reading that, he was saying, I want to touch on, I, I want to tell like the truth. You know what I mean? And it's not like, hey, I'm a writer, so I can just have everyone say the N-word every like five seconds. You know what I mean? He he, he was, his intention was, according to him, was to capture the truth of how people talk in that area. And uh, I think that's different than, like, I'm a writer, I can do what I want. You know what I mean? Because it's it's really trying to capture a certain tone or a certain area in order to, or you know, geography, time period, whatever, uh, which, which has, has some importance to it to do something like that.
1: It's cool because, like, Tarantino is such a good writer that he lets his characters... Talk the way they would talk in real life. So, like, he's he doesn't. I mean, he he has. Well, yes and no. But like, yeah. He like he has the Tarantino voice. Throughout the film, right? But he, but his characters are so distinguished. I mean, you look at Christoph Waltz and his character uh, Hans Landa and Inglourious Bastards. It's so different from Mr. Pink's voice in Reservoir totally, Dogs, yeah. and but yet it's Tarantino. But it's a different character. So, like, when it comes to saying you know the N word and stuff, like it's it's due to the character. Like it's drawn, you know, like. Samuel Jackson's character in pulp fiction, you know, uh his that character speaks like that because that's he's from, you know, what was it? Uh that you know that particular like Engel- area, Inglewood, yeah. Yeah, Inglewood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like it it makes sense and it, you know, for a reason, you know. I don't but know. But then it yeah. kind of
0: falls apart when you look at Reservoir Dogs and how it's kind of more casually thrown around, you know, True. It's, it's there's no black characters in Reservoir Dogs, so
1: Just the, yeah, just the one, just the one guy the 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 police dude. the 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 police guy that teaches Tim Roth how to oh
0: duh yeah yeah, yeah. there is okay oh yeah yeah, that's right okay the
1: undercover there
0: is that's right one and he doesn't say it at all ever no yeah so it's Steve Buscemi I think is the first one I think and Tarantino says it too in fact a lot
2: almost everybody says it I'm pretty sure not everyone but most at
0: least three times. It gets said, I mean, fairly often. But then that's what I'm saying, like, though, it's like, I don't know why he threw that in there. Because would his characters necessarily speak like that? I mean, maybe when Buscemi is saying his one line where, you know, like, are you a bunch of whatever? Like, you know, I've worked with them and they act like this and they fight or whatever. Is what he says. And it's like, I mean, I guess I could see him saying that. But other than that, you know,
1: because like they're criminals, right? So like, yeah, they're probably not the most eloquent with their phrasing yeah. of of words with uh, dealing with race. And, and, and they it don't sounded, care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They just don't. I mean, they're <laughs> stealing shit. You know what I mean? Right, so, like, right. Right.
2: Being proper is like that's the that's what's kind of so great about it is that they're they don't abide by any social r- rules but they're in suits so they look like yeah right they kind of like it you know it's like giving <laughs> uh oh god i'm blanking on the name the godfather whatever fucking marlon brando, or oh, whatever, yeah. brando with yeah. and he has the cat you know it's like a perfect right. contrast of like this really powerful like guy who can just kill anyone instantly you know because he has this huge network of people um Yet he's just kind of petting his cat. You know what I mean? It's yeah, the same yeah. thing. It's putting these guys in suits <laughs> and it's like, let's have them do, like, steal a bunch of stuff and, you know, be totally, like, you know, crass and gross and, you know, it's it's kind of neat putting and those their two char- things together.
0: They're characters you're not even really supposed to like anyway. So right.
1: In that sense, you know. It's like, but yet you do like them because you're, like, hanging out with them. Yeah, you so do end up
0: like a few of them yeah. You don't like them um, but they're
2: still the protagonist. So right. or they are. So you still kind of want like the story to like end somewhere. You know what I mean? You're still kind of yeah, rooting yeah. for them even yeah. though you
0: don't like what, you know. They're anti-heroes really is what it yeah. is, you know. They're they're people who are not setting out to be heroes and do dastardly things but yet here you are like wanting them to pull ahead you know you don't you don't root for the cops in that
3: movie necessarily, <laughs> yeah,
2: no. right you know <laughs> yeah frankly the cop who gets uh tortured in this movie uh, i kind of i thought he was annoying <laughs> a little bit like there's a point where it's like dude just yeah. shut up man i don't care that you have kids like you have another ear just deal with it dude just deal with it you can hear fine well, that's why oh, yeah. Mr. That's
0: Orange is like, I'm fucking shot. I'm dying. And <laughs> he just shuts him up, you know?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, that was pretty funny.
0: I mean, but, uh, it was
2: gruesome, but I, you know, I've seen this movie a lot, so now I can laugh at all the gross stuff that happened.
0: Well, people <laughs> walked out of the theater when uh, that, I mean, a lot of people thought that it, even though it didn't show anything, was extremely difficult to get through, you know?
1: I just, it's just That just blows my mind. I mean, it just cracks me up. It's just hilarious to me. Like, I don't know.
0: what kind of
2: people? Like, it, that's the weird thing. because, like, this movie wasn't a huge... Hey, Jacob, do you want
1: to go to church with me tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll walk out. I'll definitely walk out.
0: Uh, I don't know if you'll even make it into the church, man. Uh, you might just burn up.
2: I know, especially <laughs> if you wear that, uh, brewery t-shirt you were talking about before. the <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: time.
2: <laughs> uh... <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The um, I forgot what I was going to say. But it was going to be good, so,
0: you know. Oh, the people who walk out are, you know, film festival people. People who clap and cry and and standing ovations, that type of, you know, crowd That's so surprising to
2: me because usually those people are super open to any type of movie that comes out. You know what I
0: mean? I wish I could remember the name. Crap. I read this a couple days ago. Um, There was a guy... He was like a either a prominent critic or filmmaker or something, and he was watching that scene and he walked out and later he told Tarantino, he's like, you know, take it as a compliment that I walked out because like nice. you hit you hit the nail on the head. You got what you were going for, which was I mean, you were supposed to feel grossed out and 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 like, you know, not okay with the fact that What's happening? You know, you're, you're supposed to cringe at the violence. You're never, never in his movies. I don't really ever think there's a point where he's like glorifying it necessarily. I mean, it's such such an odd extreme. You know what I mean? Like, especially in like Django, I feel like the violence is so over the top that how yeah. is it glorification? You know?
3: I, yeah Honestly, I, could, I thought
0: yeah.
2: Django was kind of glorifying it in in a way because he was killing like the white supremacists. You know what I mean? So it is almost.
1: Yeah, Django about, is an interesting part. Like, the violence in Django is different. It's more similar to, like, the violence in Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's hard.
0: Kill Bill is more of a glorification, yeah, I would say. Yeah, it's a, <sighs> But that's also, like, a strong homage to, like, you know, Asian films and stuff, too. But we'll get to Kill Bill here in a couple episodes.
1: Yeah. You, I mean, you could probably do, like, a whole you know 30 page essay on just you know or more you know on just the violence on the way Tarantino portrays violence you know throughout his films absolutely and it's
0: you would have so many people either telling you to straight fuck off or agreeing (laughs) with you too it's so polarizing his use of violence and obviously the n-word and just like his his casual way he acts about certain
1: things or the way he writes or whatever you know and is People need to chill. It's a freaking movie. <laughs> I mean, looking Can't at we your just bookshelf
0: like <laughs> right now, look at how many Tarantino books you have. Where they talk about it, and how many sections yeah. are in that that are you know dedicated probably to just right. the violence. How yeah, many so. tabs
2: I, do you I, have they, in that? You have a little sticky notes sticking
1: out. That you pull I don't around. have any, I don't have any tabs, <laughs> but but yeah, no I. I for I'm going to need that home. kill bill he, he diary has
2: like up his tabs. One. He's totally lying.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's uh It's just he he said he puts tabs on all the pictures that have feet. All
3: Tarantino <laughs> <feet Yeah. shot. laughs> the feet
0: photos. Oh my god.
2: I I noticed
0: that. So in Jackie Brown,
2: like the blonde like beach surfer lady who just stays at home and smokes weed all the time totally her feet are introduced and oh <laughs> you, yeah
0: you don't see your face but you see her feet like four times before you even. and see then her the face. guy he like stares at it all like sexually
3: yeah and he whatnot. At yeah. The <laughs> feet.
1: yeah he uh, yeah tarantino so like he i think that was the movie where it really became prominent that the the foot fetish was was because out of,
0: yeah it does happen in Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah, it does yeah, happen yeah. in Pulp Fiction. Right. It doesn't happen in Reservoir Dogs no, because yeah, there's no, no women. Right. Like you said on an earlier episode, it's only women
1: that he shows their feet. Yeah. Is it because, uh, like, I think it's like Mia Wallace walking around. She, when
0: she walks in, the, yeah, after the whole, like, uh, the son of a preacher man song. Right?
1: Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And she ta- sure. I think she takes her shoes off, too, when they're dancing at the— uh, She does. Yes. True, yeah. yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so does he. Because that, that's actually. a moment in Pulp right. Fiction when right. she takes it off. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, and we'll get to more (laughs) in-depth Pulp Fiction talk on the next episode. Yeah, I'm just
2: I'm excited because we're doing a whole series of Tarantino. I'm just excited to talk about feet for five weeks. Like that's cool. (laughs) I've (laughs) never done that. This is (laughs) gonna be not the angel. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll talk about the angel. Hey, seven for seven. We did it. Talked about the angel. Excellent. <laughs> I'll bring it up again later, because that was like a soft bring up that was like a six point five yeah that was i'll yeah, add the yeah. I'll add the other half okay, we'll, cool. we'll get there
0: <laughs> well, as you can tell, our main topic this week is Quentin Tarantino, um easily one of the most well known names in cinema history. I would say that in general, regardless of the what's in his films, you know he's one of the most accessible filmmakers I would say and a lot of people would recommend his movies you know a lot of people who haven't seen a lot of movies or aren't on the cinephile end of things generally have seen one or two of his movies so he's definitely a household name at this point I would say Uh, His filmography is comparatively small to some of the other masterclass filmmakers that we'll be talking about. But every movie he's made is constantly discussed, generally highly rated, and, you know, usually immensely popular by just about every level of movie watcher, you know, from your kind of your casual audience and movie watcher to, you know, extreme cinephiles and film theorists and critics and whatnot. So his film debut, debut his feature film debut uh, as Reservoir Dogs and it took the cinema world by storm and everyone wanted to know who this new guy in the block was when it came out. Um, Reservoir Dogs was released in 1992. The film stars Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Lawrence Tierney, and Tarantino himself with the first of his cameo roles. And actually, it took me a, a minute to figure out his cameo role in Jackie Brown. Do you guys know what it is? Yeah. Jacob, do you know what it is? His cameo in Jackie Brown. Yep, because he does uh, he does appear. Oh, in a sense. Jeez, um, no, I don't think it's I noticed. Super it. quick, it's on her answering machine when uh, oh. she gets the call from Max Cherry, and it's that weird, really awkwardly long message. Yeah, or whatever. It's his voice on the oh, answering weird. machine. Oh, weird. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so pretty weird. Okay, that's, how that's how he cool. steps himself into there. Um, nice. Yeah. So, the film was written by, written and directed by Tarantino, of course. Just like all of his films are written and directed by himself. He's actually... What was it? Uh, I think it was Pulp Fiction, actually, where it was sort of a political thing where he kind of convinced... Because Pulp Fiction was actually kind of like co-written. It wasn't a Tarantino-only type of thing. And I can't remember the name of the other individual who helped write a good chunk of the script, but basically Tarantino convinced him to not take that credit so that he could have written and directed by. Apparently that's really important to Tarantino. Was
2: it Roger Avery? Could be. Could be, yeah. Because he has a story by credit on the film.
0: That's probably it then, yeah. So he, he convinced him to like take a what is considered a lesser credit in the writing world, um, so that Tarantino could have his written and directed by. He also worked on Reservoir Dogs, too. Yeah, and because Tarantino knew Avery kind of before.
1: Yeah, because they, they worked together, I believe, at the uh, video archive or the – Yeah, video or archives. Or something, yeah, the, yeah. The, the oh, in, in the uh, video sure. shop that he – Yeah. Oh, yeah. Notoriously, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's – I think that's – I'm at. pretty sure that's how they met uh, – it might have even been like an acting class, but I want to say it was the video archive store. Yeah.
0: That sounds about right. He definitely knew Avery kind of beforehand before they, all, before they took off. Uh, so the film was produced by Lawrence Bender, who is Tarantino's longtime partner. Uh, I'm pretty sure his name has been in every Tarantino movie, but
1: I've yet to confirm that. I don't think he produced The Hateful Eight or Django. Oh, well, that'd be interesting yeah. to see why that came up. Let me up. check real quick.
0: Uh, so it was produced by Lawrence Bender, Richard Gladstein, Monty Hellman, Harvey Keitel, and Ronald Wallace. It was shot by Ander... Oh, God. I, I just had this pronounced to me freaking earlier today, too. It was <laughs> shot by Anders. It's like Anders or Andres or something. Uh, Secula, edited by Sally Menck. Uh, production design was by David Wasco, and costume design was by Betsy Hyman.
1: Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So, yeah. So, uh, Lawrence Bender did not produce The Hateful Eight or um, Django. Huh. I or wonder Changed. why. Yeah. I think, I guess, Inglourious Bastards was the last time they worked together.
0: Wow. Yeah. Because they worked literally together even before Reservoir Dogs. Like, the, they were both He also, ones. he didn't do Death Proof either. Oh, Okay. Well, I'm really curious, because we'll be covering all of those films here in the next couple weeks, so I'm really curious to figure out why.
1: Yeah. I want to say there was some sort of, like, falling out of sorts, but I don't know exactly why. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah,
0: because they... I'll, I'll be talking about it in just a little bit, how they were both essentially working on Reservoir Dogs to get it made. Um... See, the film takes place primarily in one location, and its story is told using flashbacks. It's also very well known for being a heist film that doesn't ever show the actual heist, it only ever alludes to it. When the film was initially in pre-production, Tarantino, and like I just said, his longtime partner, Lord Bender, which we just found out may have... They may have had a falling out more recently. Uh, they had planned to make the film for roughly $30,000 to $50,000 using 16mm black and white film. So, um, Tarantino got this money by selling his script for True Romance to Tony Scott, who actually wanted to make Reservoir Dogs after reading both of the scripts. And as an aside, it's a popular idea to think that Tarantino went directly from his job at a rental store or video archive uh, to making his first film when, in fact, he was actually pretty busy in between and did a lot working up to making *Reservoir of our dogs. Um, He worked for Cinetel, a company that specialized in direct-to-video projects, doing one-page rewrites for scripts. He had a hand in writing the film Past Midnight, starring Rutger Hauer. Um, So much so that he actually got like a, he shared a credit in that film. Uh, One of the uh, female producers, I can't remember her name, she offered him a credit. Um, He also was advised by Terry Gilliam and Monty Hellman at the Sundance Institute. Um, After they learned that Keitel was involved with Reservoir Dogs, he was... uh, able to get into the Sundance Institute so he was able to kind of develop his story and had some aid in developing the script Um, so basically like you know it wasn't just Tarantino as much as he likes to make it sound like that and as much as people kind of played it up you know he had a lot of help Uh, he had a lot of there was a lot of time that he worked and developed a script and didn't essentially just write something and had a smash hit you know what I mean um, so yeah, it's, it's not as romantic when, <laughs> when the,
2: that truth kind of comes out, you know what I mean? Cause it's exactly. like really like that is just how scripts are, are written and, and rarely yep. do you write a script and you just go shoot that script. I mean, exactly. that didn't even happen with suicide squad, but that, that is kind of what happened with suicide squad. Like they, they hardly touched the script at all. And look at what movie they made. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. development is huge in the movie uh, right. industry, and it's not a lot of people uh, know that, and they keep it keep that hidden for a reason. You know, because it's not as like sexy. You know, it's <laughs> not as <cool.
0: laughs> no certainly. Um, when you really look at the film business, it's a whole lot of dirty work. You know, a lot of a lot of time spent doing a whole lot of tedious things. You know, if you if you really break down, kind of like uh, the different parts of filmmaking pre-production is definitely one of the longest parts, you know, it could span decades, you know, Mad uh, Mad Max Fury road. He had that script and everything written out, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it took him until, you know, just a couple of years ago to actually get it made.
2: Right. There, there's this, uh, <clears throat> running joke, um, among screenwriters in Hollywood. And I only know this because of the script notes podcast, you know, I'm not like a screenwriter or anything, but, uh, they say, like, you're not officially a Hollywood screenwriter unless you've written on the Stretch Armstrong movie, which they're still developing to this day. <laughs> so they still have people come in and, like, wow. work on the Stretch Armstrong movie, which Stretch, that's been around since, like, the 80s, right? So that movie's yeah. been in development, like, forever, and yep. everyone has worked on it. And there was, um, in, on script notes, uh, I think Craig Mason, like, he he worked on it, and... With his writing partner at the time. And then later, like five years later, they came back to him and said, we should have just made your version and called it good. (laughs) (laughs) But there's still... And that that was like in the 90s. He's like, oh, we should have just made your version. But now they're, you know, know, one day we'll see a Stretch Armstrong movie or or we won't.
1: Or all that work and money will just go away. It it seems such like a weird movie to make. I don't yeah. know. It's like, out of all the... I like, kid's action <laughs> yeah. movie
0: or whatever, though. It's like
2: if Mr. Fantastic was super lame. You know what I mean? I mean, not yeah. that he's... He's already kind of lame as a character, but, like, it'd be like if Mr. Fantastic could only stretch
1: his arms one direction. You know what I mean? And, like, whoop, whoop, whoop. What I'm kind of wondering, though, is, like, I bet we're, like, the last generation who, like, kind of knows who that is. Oh totally! You know what I, I mean? Because I don't. Yeah. I don't think anybody. I had one. You know? Yeah. You like you had I one? used I had one. Oh, oh you had yeah. one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I think you, I had one too. Like, but not. You know, not, not anymore. But yeah. I don't. I haven't seen any store, like any in stores. Not that I'm in the toy aisle that often or at all. But like, <laughs> <laughs> at least not. Yeah, you are. Not what that type of toy. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's no. a different story. Yeah, yeah Target yeah, yeah. yeah. um, yeah. no, doesn't like have that <laughs> section yet. <laughs> will. Walmart does though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> But like, yeah, I don't know. It's just
2: kind of weird. But no, that it, it is weird because um, you know maybe they someone worked on the script and they made like the unforgiven of Stretch Armstrong. You know what I mean. So now they're waiting. So <laughs> that someone, would be amazing. Someone I put would... it in their drawer. You know, <laughs> who's, the, who's the guy who played um, the military guy in Avatar the the movie? The oh, Stephen Lang. Yeah, Stephen Lang. I bet yeah, yeah. Stephen Lang like is holding on to that script. Like I'm going to play this fucking guy <laughs> as soon as I turn seventy. Then we're making this
1: movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'd I'd spend. 25 bucks that's the most I'd spend on a ticket to see that movie the yeah I, yeah, of I s- <laughs>
0: think I'd, I'd pay more only 25 bucks <laughs> I so think
1: IMAX if, 3d <laughs> yeah, pretty, yeah,
0: yes. much. <laughs> yeah exactly uh, no uh, so what I was saying earlier though is like pre-production you know can be insanely long the actual principal photography or production of a movie is generally under a year however some films can be you know a couple years and then post-production is really where it picks up again in length because people spend so much time editing -editing, re-editing reshoots you know now we have constant and excessive vfx that people have to do you know that they outsource that to like you know specific production companies and there's probably multiple companies vfx companies that do it even movies that are
2: non-vfx movies like you look at it and you're like oh that's just a regular movie still has an effects yeah. of VFX yeah, stuff going on. Definitely.
0: And also the writing stage, which is pr- before pre production, you know, could span decades as well. Um, yeah, also. just,
2: yeah. Getting out before you're shopping
1: the script, you know? Yep, and
2: then you have exactly. to develop it. So, God, that's such a hard job.
1: Or just it like, is. you know, actors quitting and then have to, have to yep. rehire, you know, the, yeah. the yep. new Spielberg actor or actress.
2: Spielberg coming on to direct, you know? <laughs> and then the yeah. movie never gets made because he's
1: on to direct like nine movies and he has well, to okay. pick one. It's like this World War Z two film is going yeah, through I kind of like today. this crazy like little bit of a produc- production pre production with David Fincher. Yeah, so that's that's a possibility. Which I don't know. I feel like he's lowering himself by doing that in a or way.
0: Or is he raising the material? Because David Fincher is such an a- auteur. It's true. It's true.
1: <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just I don't know. He, I mean, he needs to go do. Girl with dragon tattoo, um, or the second one, the girl with that played with fire. Who, whatever, I don't know. Because I actually I, liked his version really a lot.
2: <laughs> yeah, I liked his version too. And uh, um, you know, it, he did Gone Girl, right? Did not he do Gone right. Girl? Right. Yes. And Gone Girl was was sick. That movie was awesome. Uh, and actually, the the person who wrote the novel wrote the screenplay for that movie, which is yeah, which is totally unheard of. Like that never <laughs> yeah. happens. Normally, it's like they are shoving the novelist like. You know, we like, I oh, don't know. Stay at
0: home, please. Just yeah, please stay definitely. at home. I don't. You know. <laughs> um, it's definitely unheard yeah. of to have a novelist adapt not only her own piece but just a novelist work on a script. You know, I think it's definitely happened. I know George R. R. Martin's been involved in Game of Thrones. He's written a couple of the scripts. So
2: yeah, and like Hemingway famously went to you know go try and be a screenwriter and he hated it and couldn't do it and he a lot of you know his style of writing is very simplistic and you know it's it's you know it, you know it's it's not very fluffy you know what i mean it's like very straight to the point which is kind of what you want for screenwriting yeah um but he hated screenwriting and he wasn't very he said he's like i'm just not very good at this and then he went it, back to writing books
0: i mean it's two separate skills you know generally speaking it's harder to a, for a writer to go from a novel to a screenplay instead of vice versa you know because a screenplay is generally is essentially just kind of like the spine of a novel essentially like where all the excess fat is cut off and you're just down to the basic action and plot and dialogue and you know novelists always want to talk about things that are not necessarily relevant you know, that they'll describe a scene, they have to use their words to describe a scene, and, you know, sometimes they'll go on tangents about some specific part of a scene where, in a screenplay, you don't want any of that. It's just a screenplay's a blueprint to get the movie made, you know? And you just want to move from point A to point B, and let, and then also, like, people don't like fluffy screenplays because directors want to do their own shit, and they don't want to be tied down to a, a writer in a screenplay.
2: Uh, unless unless the screenplay is really good, then then it doesn't matter. You know what I right. mean? Like, if the yeah. screenplay is super good, then it's like, have all the fluff you want in it, and then we'll, you know, we'll make it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one thing that's...
0: <clears throat> oh, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say.
2: It totally just... It left me.
0: <laughs> well, It's I'll just gone. On. I don't know what... <laughs> I can't remember. I'll continue on, and you can think about it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, initially, when the film was being uh kind of shopped around and try and in pre-production what not uh Tarantino was going to play the role of Mr. Pink and Lawrence Bender would have been Nice Guy Eddie however through a random series of people Harvey Keitel was given the script and immediately joined the production he kind of just fell in love with it and I, and by random series of people I mean it was like it was like Lawrence Bender's acting Coach's wife knew Harvey Keitel Or something like that it's <laughs> yeah, super random. Some,
1: yeah random thing yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: So having someone of Keitel's caliber at the time helped them raise the Budget up to around one and a half million And gave the production team the Ability to audition bigger name actors Such as Buscemi, Madsen and Roth There are also rumors That um, There's a whole list of people James Woods Vincent Gallo, or Gallo Either way, Seymour Cassell, George Clooney, Robert Forster, who's also in Jackie Brown, uh, Timothy Carey, Samuel L. Jackson, and Christopher Walken all auditioned for various roles and either were turned down or, you know, other people were casted because they just seemed to be a better fit. And actually, I'll talk about that in Pulp Fiction a uh, few of these individuals Go on to work with Tarantino In their later films Obviously Samuel L. Jackson And Christopher Walken George Clooney acted with Tarantino um, in From Dust Till Dawn And Forrester like I said Is in Jackie Brown uh, the, cho- the choice to not show the heist Was made through a combination Of budgetary concerns And um, Tarantino's desire Like just to not show it for some reason, he just always really wanted to do that. There's a specific film in mind he was thinking of, and I can't uh, think, I think about it off the top of my head.
1: I think it was uh, The Killing by uh,
2: well, he, Stanley Kubrick, he, right? he said he based it's, it... It's a uh, stage play, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. They do and, it now, oh, And they, yeah. there's a film adaptation of that stage play. Mm-hmm.
0: Correct. And there's also a different film that he references, because Reservoir Dogs is like this crazy combination of like eight or nine or ten different things. Like, it's insane. Um, and and th- so there was a specific film he had in mind that kind of didn't show the heist either and always just alluded to it. So he was something that he was just like, you know, it's
2: a cool idea. That, I want to do that. So that's that's Glenn Gary. Glenn Ross. Is that's, it
0: specifically that one? That's what I, that I, I swear to God. There was a different one, too, because he like I said, he references a bunch. But I don't know. I read a whole bunch of crap on him. So it gets a little bit jumbled. Um I, And kind of my own opinion here. I kind of read this as if, like, if they had more money, they likely would have probably shot the sequence and then if anything, like, nixed it. You know, if he really didn't want it. But I think if they would have actually had more funding for the movie, that they pr- they would have shown the heist. And, you know, you could argue back and forth on whether or not that would have been detrimental for the movie or not. Uh, the film managed to make its money back in the U.S. You know, it made... I think somewhere in the two millions, but abroad it actually pulled in around six to seven million, so it was actually a fairly successful debut film you know and, and by making its money back and then some it definitely positioned him to have people want to come back to him and and get and see what else he had you know what other movies he could make um <clears throat> So, since its release, the film has definitely grown in popularity. Uh, it's, I don't even know if you can call it a cult film at this point.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's like exceeded that. It's I don't, a little yeah, bit, yeah, it's, 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 it's more elevated. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know what the, yeah, that's in, I don't it's know like, what. like post-cult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Post-cult,
0: there you go, post-cult. Yeah.
1: There you go. <laughs> we're
2: we're making
0: up names for things. <laughs> the film really didn't take off until after Pulp Fiction was released. And, you know, the the paradigm that is Pulp Fiction caused people to go back and watch Reservoir Dogs. So it kind of had this resurgence um, after Pulp Fiction got made. And I think it kind of grew in popularity, too, because they're kind of similar in, in style and tone and, and the way that the uh, disjointed structure. Style that the, that he uh, employs. So overall, the film has been touted as an extremely important piece of independent cinema. So I guess right there, I just we just answered it. No, it's not cult, post-cult or whatever, because um, <laughs> it is definitely you know in terms of independent cinema, pretty important. And
1: think, it was. Actua- I think that could still be cult, though. I think that right. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because it's cult, but yet it's it still has. I don't know, because there's so many cult films that are cult purely because they were, like, midnight movies or, like, The Room is a cult film, right? But it's yes. not – it doesn't further cinema, whereas, like, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, like, they're, like, cult films, but yet they're – especially Reservoir Dogs, but they're – and, like, El Mariachi, you know? Yeah, see, I think
0: cult implies, like, it's popular within a, a smaller subset of people. Yeah,
1: it's, it's weird. because I,
0: like, I still think Reservoir Dogs is like that, though. I think the problem that we're having with this is that it's Tarantino's attached to it. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: mm-hmm. if it
0: wasn't Tarantino, then yeah, I would probably say it was cult. Or if Tarantino
1: right. was still doing films that were only on, like, film festival, the film exactly. festival circuit, you know? Right. Whereas right now, he's, I mean, his, his name is so. It's a huge name. Yeah. It's very commercial. It, yeah. So, like, you know, I don't know.
0: I would say, like, Christopher Nolan's The Following is a cult film. You know, even though it's attached to Nolan, I would say that that one is a little more cult than... Because, like, I think Memento is his first mainstream hit, and then it goes from there, whereas people don't even really think about the following right. at all. And I would say, like, you know, I think of cult, too, in terms of, like, Pitch Black. Yeah. I think it would be a cult like sci-fi. Sci- David yeah.
1: Lynch's Eraserhead, I think, would be a cult Ra- film. It's
0: well, called, maybe not yeah. Eraserhead, uh, maybe Inland Empire, because I think Eraserhead's... Pretty well known. I think He's well known, well, but it was like the well first midnight is, movie, or maybe with, Elephant Man. I don't know. I think Razorhead
2: might man. be pretty. I think I think Razorhead is cult because I think it it was released and it it's it's I, I'm pretty sure cult is like they get released and no one gives a shit, but then later they get like this right. word of mouth underground following which exactly, is, which yeah, is yeah. what happened to The Room. Um, But I I think this happened to Reservoir Dogs, but then it also got this huge bump from Pulp Fiction, you know, getting all
1: these awards and being this fucking dope movie. Because, like, you race your head, like, it – not – I mean, most people don't like that movie. You know, there's, like, there's a definite (laughs) – there's a definite – yeah. Group of people that like that movie. Which, yeah, you if know, you want to
2: see people for, truly divided <laughs> on something, fortunately, I, I, race ahead. I,
1: I like that movie. I really no, like yeah, that movie. Too. That movie's but,
0: phenomenal. Yeah. I think the, the correct term for that one is cult classic.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, it's a yeah. cult classic for sure. So maybe yeah, it is yeah. cult, but yeah. it's a different type of cult. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, it's up there with like the Holy Mountain or um, El Topo, and oh, those uh, are know, straight up like cult. Jodor- yeah, Yodorowsky yeah, is yeah. certainly a cult filmmaker, and they and they came so. out. I want to say El. Topo and Eraserhead came out pretty much in the same year, or at least they got recognition in the same year. And they were the first like two official like midnight films, you know the the the, the first official like cult cool films, really. You mm-hmm. know, um, that's pretty cool. And then from then on, like that's when we started, you know, seeing those types of films kind of becoming not so mainstream, but like, at least known, at least a part a, a part of pop culture.
0: Yeah. Right. I would say, like, the original Pusher is a cult film, too.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Probably. what's what? What Even is Even like? Only God Forgives, you know? Yeah. To a degree. <laughs> yeah, like, bring <laughs> Bringing him up again. Oh, of course. <laughs> this is your guys's oh, angels. This is this uh, is yeah. like
2: you guys need to bring up what's what I I'm blanking on his name. What's his name? Refin Gliswinding Refin. Oh, <laughs> Refin. See, I I can't remember even though I've heard it seven. Apparently
0: times. apparently the actual pronunciation of his name is like Nicholas Vending Rain or something like that. Really? Yeah, it's something completely different than it's not a a straight like phonetic
1: cuz well. I like I've heard him say Refin, you know.
0: Maybe he just says Refin cuz it's yeah, easier for Americans to say. Yeah, American.
2: Yeah. I, I would do that if people were mispronouncing mine. i just go with the mispronunciation just because I don't fucking care. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like people ask me, hey, do you prefer Jake or Jacob? I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> like I literally, no. I respond to both. You know what I mean? Just if you need my attention,
1: just get my attention. You know? I get Brian so much. It's ridiculous. Uh, I it's we like, should call you Brian. It's why like are we the, doing it's that? like it's like the y <laughs> is before the r. It's fire not Brian. Oh, I get Kevin like all the time. Really? All the time.
0: All the time. Weird. The time. <laughs> People assume my name is Kevin. <laughs> why almost why? immediately. That's I don't weird. know. And it's funny. Why? It's funny because my dad's name is Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: weird. know. I don't know why. You know what's funny is I cannot see you as a Kevin. But I could I can't believe that uh, Byron is a, Brian. a I can't, Brian. I could believe that. I don't, it sounds so wrong because I you're totally a Byron to me because that's who you are. But I think I would believe
1: that over Keith being a Kevin. That's funny. Yeah. I can't think of Keith as a Kevin either. That's
0: I've also been told that I look like half Mexican, too. So that's, Yeah, that's weird. I don't
2: know, I don't know man.
3: People, people just don't know,
0: man. Especially Bellingham. Like, it's just like the whitest...
2: City but, that doesn't want to be
0: white. I've been called Kenny before, too. Kenny? Kenny. Really? <laughs> Only like, as like a joke? No, like, he legitimately thought my name was Kenny.
3: <laughs> I don't know. That's the weird.
2: I'm kind of an idiot, though. And I think we the, the weirdest thing that happened to me was someone thought, like, I went to the store, and I was like, my name's Jacob. Or I went to Starbucks, and they were like, is that with a Y or a J?
3: Jakob. <laughs> <Y-Yakum. laughs> like, like, I'm Jacob. It's with a J, you <laughs>
2: stupid idiot. Like,
3: do, what do I look like?
2: like Fucking the whitest person ever. Like, why like, would I spell out my <laughs> name with a Y? If they would have said with a G or with a J, I could maybe understand it. Right. why? Yeah. why? Because, like, I could get, like, the, you know what I mean? Like, I get, with, I get the thinking, but, like, just blink once and look at me. Like it's a J. <laughs> oh, Jesus, that's <laughs> oh, amazing! Jesus. Wow, Is that the best. That yeah, here in Arizona too. That wasn't like in some like weird like culture. You know, like yeah, not that Arizona isn't cultured or anything, but like you know. Like a super liberal area where like people are like changing their names for well yeah some, that's you know that's like Bellingham. cultural yeah. appropriation almost type, type oh stuff. my
1: gosh <laughs> where it's like they're trying uh. to be so accepting that it's actually like it, it's actually not only not insulting but it's actually like kind of like semi offensive
3: yes <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally yeah. It, it does like the
2: reverse
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. Stop trying to fucking hard people.
2: That's correct. Stop, cr- stop trying hard and it's a fucking J. Maybe That's you it. looked
1: maybe you looked Amish that day or something.
3: <laughs> I did.
2: I just got out of the shower, you know, and I you know, I wrapped my Head in the towel thing.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I got that's that's bad. So you culturally we'll appropriate we'll you culturally out. appropriate is what you're saying.
2: Uh,
3: yeah, a little bit. Ah <laughs> uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, I like it.
2: it's rubbed off on me. <laughs>
3: fuck it. <shut> <laughs>
0: I can see that shovel you're you're burying yourself with right now. Uh,
3: <laughs>
2: it's for me. Keep digging uh, the hole, man. It's for me.
0: Uh well so Reservoir Dogs yeah that's where we were where we were at before that tangent. Uh actually so Reservoir Dogs was named uh, Empire's greatest independent film of all time so I, I
3: you
1: know. can see that I cool mean I can classic. Classic. that makes sense in a way I'm kind of surprised though because like Robert Rodriguez's you know El Mariachi to me is almost. The penultimate. I mean, considering he made the whole movie in for seven thousand dollars and did everything by himself, essentially. Yeah. Which, I know. Yeah, and I've it came out that. the same year yeah. as Reservoir Dogs. That's and, a trip. And that's how they they Tarantino and Rodriguez met each other at the at some festival.
0: And then they went it, on to do Grindhouse. Yeah,
1: yeah, which so, is cool. I mean,
2: but here to counter your point, and I I'm not Byron. I'm not or Brian. Sorry, uh, I'm not saying that you're wrong. <laughs> but all, <laughs> all I'm saying is that
1: I couldn't. I couldn't swallow my beer. <laughs>
2: Classic Brian.
1: Oh,
2: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> people are seriously gonna call me Brian now. <laughs> I know. You should, you should just give up, dude. Just. Oh God. Hey, this is Keith, and I'm Brian. <laughs> oh no. Uh, but a- anyways, uh, my point being, Empire Magazine rating Reservoir Dogs as number one, kind of gets more people excited than. you know what i mean because tarantino is a huge name so you know they're they're a publication and they're just trying to get views you know what i mean so it's like yeah for sure what do we think should be number one and you know it's like when the
1: yeah when the new tarantino film comes out you know they'll it'll be on the cover of empire and you know they'll get more oh i've seen that name before and that that reservoir dogs movie looked cool oh i should buy this yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly Except yeah,
2: they, they probably exploited the magazines. fuck out of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just yeah. every, I mean, that's what they're, that's what, they're, what they do. You know, right. they're, they're about like, you know, getting people to buy that stuff and Hey, it works. And you know, they have good, I'm not saying that bad stuff or anything, but you know, yeah, not, So it, maybe not the best representation of what is the most independent like the you know important independent movie to come out right,
0: I mean, you definitely should take every list that's made with a grain of salt, regardless of you know who makes the list, whatever prominent publication or what have you makes the
1: list yeah you know, it's it's what's interesting to me, we kind of touched upon this a little bit earlier, but like how reservoir dogs went to like you know Sundance and these film festivals, and how people reacted to it very strongly and not in necessarily a positive manner. There was that whole group of people that felt that it was too. They like, they actually called it like Hollywood because where even though it was far from being Hollywood, but it was more of an action film than it was like a drama or. But it, there really isn't that much action. But people right. actually thought because there was cussing, because there was violence, that that it it was m- more than it really was. I think I think it shocked them into that. Like, before that, because this is the early 90s, you know, Sex, Lies, and Videotape was a huge, you know, success, and there, you know, there's no violence in that. It was very, it's like, that's kind of like a a super, that's like a very, you know, classic example of an independent film, and and that was what they were kind of seeing, that type of movie, Um, and, you know, Gus Van Sant, and stuff like that, right? Right. Um, But then, when Reservoir Dogs came out, it was so unlike all the other independent films, um in independent genre films at that time that, again, like it struck that nerve. And then after that, I mean, of course, now the 90s are kind of known for that whole crime, independent, violent kind of film. Um, But I think it was, you know, I think Tarantino made that whole type of film more prominent. I think it was there the whole time, but it wasn't, it didn't, it took his film to really, you know. Yeah. It like gave it a boom, sort of. Right, right. Yeah, like a huge bump. It's it's just I just (laughs) find it interesting that like I don't know what you said that made me think about that, but like like how Empire, yeah, like kind of I don't know it's just where a film that is now considered like you know the classic independent film. But at the time it was released, the independent film community, or at least a, a big portion of it, didn't quite really accept it. They didn't want to accept it because it, it felt too crass to them, you know? Right. Um, what, was that know, because of the language or because it was like a hyper-real, like I think Hollywood. it was all of it. I think it all was because it, it was hyper-real, the violence, and, you know, the language. I think it was too insulting, like, to their... To their, you know, because they wanted to see something more cultured and more, you know, probably, right. dare I say, like, liberal. You know what I mean? No, or, like, like, subdued. You're right, right, right. Yeah,
2: like if Jackie Brown came out, they would be like, oh, yeah, this is really yeah, good. Yeah, like, the subdued. controversy
1: that they'd be okay with would be, like, you know, a man going down on a man scene, right? Yeah. Like, they'd yeah. be okay with that, but yeah. they're not going to be okay with the guy... Laying down in a pool of his own blood, you know, holding his, you know, right. wound, and then well, a guy. A, everybody likes, in, you know, yeah. Everybody likes <laughs> a happy ending. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my that, god. That, that was good. That was good. <laughs> but he, like, but you he know does what I kind mean? of
0: shoot his gun off right at the end as sort of a, a metaphor, <laughs> yeah. if you will. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But you know
1: what I mean? Like I, I don't know exactly, but. I think you know what I mean about about how yeah I get it I would it's, say it's just interesting it's, it's how a, that, it's a it trend kind of I mean
2: independent films have trends too you know right, it's not exactly. it's not just Hollywood, and that was the trend of the time and here's someone who 's like i don 't give a shit what the trend is i 'm just making my movie and i 'm going to serve the story, and this is the story and here we go, and people responded because you know if you get a ticket to a film festival and you 're expecting a certain kind of film because you like that kind of film, but you get the opposite of that then that's like oh that film sucks you know but does the film actually suck you know maybe not maybe you just had a different expectation and that's what it kind of seems like right, like exactly. people are expecting this drama about you know a heist and what they get is an ear getting cut off to one of their favorite songs that they listen to on the radio on the way there
0: <laughs> so I mean, uh, you know those are the same people that are going to piss all over movies regardless though. you know they're just film festival people who consider themselves cultured in movies, but just go essentially to just be negative about something you know like yeah
1: i mean that's yeah. that 's the whole thing to me that 's just interesting. These people that consider themselves cultured yet when something really new and innovative comes out, they a lot of the time like <coughs> shit on it, but then later, later they 'll go. And I know that when I first saw it, you know, I didn't like it, but, but I knew it, he was an immense talent. It's like, well, you did, sure as shit didn't say that right, in your yeah. review, you know. Yeah. yeah, you know he's an yeah, immense
0: looked, talent three yeah. films later when right. he's making $500 million a movie. Yeah,
2: right. You know, they go it, back it, and, like, change their one star to, like, three and a half or something, you know. Like,
1: <laughs> and, it, and it goes Oops. back to right when I, you know, a couple episodes ago I was I went on a spiel about just, like, you know. If you like a movie or you don't like a movie, like, just be your own critic, you know, be your own, have your own opinions about it. Like, I don't know, I'm just, I just get so sick and tired of just being in that kind of, uh, you know, uh, film atmosphere where I see it all the time, you know, where it's like people just jump on a bandwagon, you know? They're not Uh, really actually thinking about film with their own... You know what I mean, like with their own minds. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, I in that know. same vein, no, yeah, it's like right.
0: those critics are probably hanging out with each other. You know what I mean, like right. after the festival. It's, yeah, or it's like whatever, the critics'
2: circle. You know.
0: Yeah, like yeah. oh, you didn't like that? Cool, let's hang out. And then you know, like they kind of inform each other's opinions. You know that type of thing. So, if you try and take, if you try and make a movie and pander to critics, you will not have a movie because you'll have to nix everything. Because some person's going to hate the fact that you went on a hero's journey, and one person's going to love it. So if you try and pander to both, then you're not going to have a hero's journey. You're just not going to have a movie. You know what someone should do?
2: They should make that movie. Why hasn't anyone made that and called it, like, the <laughs> ultimate critics movie? Where have you it's seen like... Forrest Gump? <laughs> 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 I
3: had Actually, you. wasn't
0: that movie kind of, like not liked as much when it first came out. Like e- it, it took a little bit for it to actually gain traction. Yeah, I
1: know. I think yeah. you're right. I was just being a little facetious by, towards by, Forrest uh, Gump. Bro- Byron <laughs> is, is
2: still working on it. He he, he doesn't get it yet. He'll, he'll get there, though.
0: He'll understand why it's... I mean, been. I would say, like, Oscar... <laughs> Oscar bait movies are ones where, <laughs> Jesus Christ, the fucking, like, weird inside joke connection you two have where you just, like, look each we, other in we the have eye. An ener-
2: we have an energy. We, <laughs> <apparently>, <laughs> we can't deny it.
0: There's a sexual <laughs> chemistry
2: between
3: you two just and, undeniable. And, and a regular <laughs> chemistry.
2: Call <It's> them A, call <laughs> min- them B. Mental sex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is the best kind, honestly? <laughs> mental stroking. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Uh, Oh, Oscar bait. This is a 12-year-old podcast, (laughs) man. It's good. I like
0: Uh, it. (laughs) So I think Oscar bait movies are the ones that are closest to, like, critic pandering. And that's why Oscar bait is kind of a negative term, because they're trying to appeal to the most amount of people as they possibly can and get those awards, you know?
2: Which is is so weird, because that feels like such a backwards business model. Like, hey, we're going to try against all the other art films that exist in the world. What? Just go make fucking a superhero movie like that you know what i mean like that's where the money is but you know you got to make those small films that where you get awards you know i don't know
1: it, i don't I, know where i'm going with it I, it's just a weird i don't I, I, I don't know i just i think about this quite a bit cuz like okay you have like the danish girl i actually i i like that movie um but it it is kind of one of those oscar bait movies cuz you know the topic is about someone that's Right now, currently in our society, it gets a lot of, um, you know, discrimination and isn't widely accepted. So as a society, there's people that normally tend to be on the left kind of want to really hear these people's voices. And they feel that they don't really have – that they have their voice of their own, but they have to take it upon themselves to make – these people's voices heard, right? Yeah.
2: you know, it's uh, about a trans <clears throat> transgendered uh, woman or a man, man who turns into
1: right, a woman.
2: yeah. Yes. And Eddie I, I Redmayne, really like, right? Who won yeah, the yeah. Oscar the year prior for Theory of Everything?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, I I really like the movie, and the cast is great. The director is the guy who did The King's Speech, and mm-hmm. the talent behind it and in front of the camera is fantastic. However, it's it's one of those movies that like it's easy for the director to say and i'm not saying that maybe this is i'm not saying that this isn't genuine um but you know it's one of those like oh it was a passion project of mine in the sense of i i just i read the script and it touched me and and it was a story that needed to be told you know and i, I hear that so often it was a story that needed to be told and it I don't know how to describe it, but there's there's so many more other films, and, and then, of course, like, I don't know, or ideas and topics that could be discussed. Um, not that they didn't deserve this topic, but then, of course, when it comes out, all the critics go, this movie is great, or this movie. Right. It, it's just like the critics feed this weird agenda that the director didn't necessarily have. Right, totally. yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. And where I'm, like what the I'm,
2: passion disappears almost. Yeah.
1: Like it's like it gets lost.
2: Like, hey, I made this film because blah blah blah. But then you have all these other people who agree that this is why this film exists, and they exactly. weren't even there to like make the movie, but they're deciding like how people get affected by it. Like that's exactly. So backwards, you
1: know? Yeah. Like I, I it's just weird because like I think it was it's Tom Hooper. I think he that directed directed that film, and and like he like, right. Like, like he said, you know, like. The, the story intrigued him. It was a true story. It needed to be told, stuff like that. I understand that. That's cool. You know, if he says that, I believe it. But then when you have critics that are like, that, again, jump on it, and then they say, like, I don't know. They they make it political. And I understand that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think it's necessarily – They're trying
0: to be like, look how up-to-date and and, like, hip and – what not? I am because I accept yeah. this now. You know, right? I mean, it seems they're like, like
2: pandering to like Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, hey, what's gonna like look good on Facebook? You well, know? they're also trying right.
0: to like, pander to each other. Yeah, too, yeah. You know what I mean? God It's, sort of a, even, it's, even it's kind worse. of a weird community where it's kind of like a circle jerk. You know, where uh, yeah. th- that's why. That's why I just can't do. Yeah, and see, the problem reviews. is, is like I think what you're kind of getting at, Byron, is like. You shouldn't You shouldn't be making a movie, and then the award should be given to your movie because it was a good movie, right. not because you were targeting it towards trying to make an Oscar movie that you know would sell. And, yeah. and then the other problem is, too, is like, you know, the way the Oscars work is it's so political, so there's these weird waves where it's like, you know, we got a bunch of flack because black filmmakers weren't represented and like, you know, black films weren't winning and then so suddenly you have these films that are winning and now it's like, okay, well, was it because it was a good movie or was it because of the political climate at the time and now they're trying to show themselves as as accepting, you know, even though the Oscars is essentially a bunch of old white dudes right you know, right like. which is so weird because
2: it is like a large group of people voting you know what i mean so it's not like it's like one person who's deciding like okay we need some black films in here this year or even a right. panel of people like it's it's like four what how, how i don't even know how many people but like maybe 400 in each category maybe right maybe more or less depending
1: on the category so it's well, not yeah. like it's it's, there's one also, asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it's there's a bunch also, of assholes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, there's so many elements to this. I mean, because, like, you look at this last year's Oscars, right? You had Hidden Figures, you had Moonlight, you had Lion, you had Fences, and these were all films that dealt with, like, minorities. However, you really only heard about Moonlight, Hidden Figures. Fences, you heard a, heard about a little bit, right? You Especially did. if you're like a Denzel right. person, yeah. But you Fences didn't hear about Lion really that often. And Lion, I didn't hear about
0: Lion until it started to be talked about through
1: the Oscars. Me, yeah, me neither. But yeah. like, you but know, like that's like, like an India Indian, right? Yeah, and the the main actor, I, I I'm pretty sure he was nominated for an Oscar. I think this this year. I think Dev Patel. I, I'm I remember sure. the kid was there at the ceremony. Yeah, I want to say Dev Patel was nominated, but did you hear about like him, at, that film as like a film that dealt with you know like that that, that it that it starred a minority? Like no, because it wasn't it wasn't yeah. like, it wasn't on the critics' agenda. They were focused on you know the a- African American thing, which is totally fine. Like that's cool. I, I'm not wanting to hit on that parade or, you know, uh rain on that parade, but like the fact that there's this weird thing where they only pounce on a certain type of thing. They 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 want to call themselves diverse or they want to call themselves all encompassing of of of, right. of genders and ethnicities, but yet when it really boils down to it, it, it it's it's really not. They're focused on a particular thing. You know, yeah. maybe Doesn't next they, year it'll be you know films that deal with you know that, Indi- yeah. I, Indian actors or think, India themes. I don't I know. I
2: think I think that's the whole problem with awards for movies. Anyways, is like no matter what. Even I mean, I'm not saying that that what what you're saying is true or false. And I I I mean, I think it's true. You know what I mean? But that's <laughs> just my opinion. But even, no matter what, there's there will always be a like the like a a conclusion that someone can draw based on what movie won like no matter what it can be like because like this year it's a bunch of people saying oh la la land didn't win because of last year's stuff like so that's why moonlight won because you know there was no like black people at all at the oscars last year um so but then last year it was like oh there's no black people here you know what i mean so it's right So, I don't know. There's always a conclusion to be drawn, and that's just the issue with giving awards to movies anyways. And, like, all these movies are good. Like, Lion... I I haven't seen Lion, so I'm not gonna... Moonlight is really good. Um, Hidden Figures is really good. Fucking La La Land is amazing. So, you know, I mean, good also. But, yeah, all these... Yeah, and Fences
1: was good, and, you know...
2: Yeah, yeah, Fences was good. Like, they're all good. So, you know, I think people just read too much into this because they care, and... I mean, just just care less about the awards. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, awards mean nothing. Awards are, are after been, the fact. Like these filmmakers usually, after they came out with their movie, they're already working on another movie. Like when I mean, when Damien Chazelle got his Whiplash thing, he was already working on La La Land and like totally focused on that and was like trying to do that. So it's cool to get
0: an award, but it's it's not about the award. It's about the work. Okay, so the only way I'm going to disagree with you a little bit with that is that. Awards are important insofar as, like, if I make a debut film that wins an Oscar, my options for making a movie are going to open up, and the sky is going to be the limit. I might get more money. I might get better, you know, uh, bigger name actors, different people. So in that sense, I think awards are important because it can really help the filmmaker. Like, when he he was already working on La La Land, you know, him winning something for Whiplash... Definitely helped bolster the production of La La Land, without a doubt. He, he already um, was doing La La Land at that. What point. I'm saying is, it, it, it probably helped. You know, because you can always have more money, you can always have talent, whatever. You know, I'm sure yeah. there was some way that it benefited La La Land because it, it's not like it would have hurt it at all. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but really, I think the real problem with awards is that there's too much. See, the problem with movies is that. movies, when they're starting to be marketed and they're starting to be made, there's almost no transparency. It's like, who's on it? Who's attached? How much money? Is it going to make money? People want to know all the information. And when it comes to awards, the only thing that should ever be judged is the movie. Like, people who judge movies for awards should have no knowledge of who made it, who's in it, who did the music, who edited until they see the movie, you know? And then when you finally see that, wow, Denzel Washington's in that movie. Crazy. Like then you can form your opinion of it beforehand, you know, like watch a Tarantino movie without knowing it's Tarantino. And let's see what the actual, you know you're trying like you want to try and create an environment that's so non-biased but it's just not possible especially with like something as big as the Oscars where it's it's so political that there's no way you can have it be you know unbiased at all but in reality yeah you should it should just be you know completely block yourself off from the rest of the world and watch a movie for what it is because what you're actually judging is the movie you know what i mean like at the end of the day yeah, it's that's that's it. And did the movie do what it set out to do? Did it did it have a good story? Did it have a good plot? Did it, did it have good characters? Whatever you want your criteria to be, judge it off of that. Don't judge it off the fact that Nolan wrote, Nolan made this movie. So I got to say something really good about this movie so that you know my blog will become popular and I'll become a big film critic and I'll get paid to just watch a bunch of movies. You know, like right. Fuck all that shit. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you want to do that. Go
2: ahead and do it. I'm not going to read your fucking reviews, though. You know, because I know they're bullshit. <laughs> Just like right. when I, you know, when you see, like, the, you know, the Last Jedi trailer, like, pops. And there's, like, a million trailer, like, you know, things where they're, like, read, you know, they're, like, dissecting it. And, like, trying to figure, oh, whose helmet is this? Oh, what's this in the background? Oh, is that, whoa, what is that? You know, is that an A-Wing Sweet. God, I bring up Star Wars too much. Uh, and it's like... You, I you, I can tell what you're doing, you know what I mean. I can smell it, so I just avoid it. I mean, it. you get articles you know like I
0: mean? "Why Star Wars is going to be the greatest movie of all time" or "Why it already is the greatest movie of all time" and "Why this was the greatest trailer of uh, all time." And it's, like, it's like
2: it's not even out yet, guys. Yeah, like you haven't even seen it. Like, and then you get so many
0: people down. who are like, "God, man, trailers ruin movies for me now." And like, no, so they, they don't. don't watch the trailers. Just watch <laughs> the movie. Like, the <laughs> I, whole point is to watch don't. the movie.
2: Trailers are so manipulative. Like, like I, I get like, oh, like I feel like I know the whole plot of that movie. But then those people don't even end up seeing that movie anyways. Like, they're, right. they just want to bitch about something. Realistically,
0: and, the only thing that you should have a chance to judge a movie on is the title of the movie. And that's it. You should just watch it. You know what I mean? No, like, yeah,
2: I I agree with you, but that's impossible.
0: No, there is Totally impossible. Totally impossible. I mean, but that would be just amazing. in trying to find movies to watch. You're generally going to find a list that's like the ten best noir movies ever made. All right, so I'm going to start with that, knowing that these are the ten best noir movies ever made. You know what I mean? Like there's there, it's super 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 hard to to watch a movie without knowing anything about it at all. Right. So th- to add to Keith's point, I, I completely agree that,
2: um, you know, for filmmakers, awards are good. Um, but at the same time, you know, Damien Chazelle uh, went around with, uh, with La La Land first when he first got to Hollywood and just he shopped it around. No one wanted it. They wanted um, it to not be about jazz and they wanted like a... R&B artist or something, because that was, like, you know, more popular at the time, I guess. Um, So that was, like, what would get more, you know, put more money for it. Um,
0: I also heard that they thought it wasn't enough of a musical either.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't enough of a musical. You know, they had a lot of issues with it. So instead, he wrote Whiplash and made that. And then before he got the award, before, so not so... Even before he was nominated, they were like, wow, this guy can actually make a good movie. And then decided, let's throw him on La La Land. Like, this whiplash is good. So you have all these people who are like... If you just make a good movie, then then you're good. You know what I mean? Like if you could just make something good and you're not like a s- sex offender, which which happens way too often in Hollywood. Uh not that everyone is, but you know. Uh, Brian
0: a, Singer. There's a <coughs> Oh man. There's a uh. few bad
2: singers. Eggs. <laughs> there's a few bad eggs. Um, yeah, that, that <laughs> I Byron, heard that. that Byron singer over there. Oh,
3: God. <laughs>
2: oh, God. <laughs> no. Oh,
0: man. Uh, it's happening. Um, let's not tank our own, our own podcast. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Byron's legit. He's legit. He does not hang out in the <laughs> toy aisle at Target. That <laughs> only so,
1: <a> Supposedly. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, sp- <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, when sorry. I do hang out at the toy aisle in Target, it's it's not for that reason. It's yes. for it, I, yeah. it's yeah, it's probably looking at the Legos. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many good
2: Legos out. You know what I mean? Like, right. And they're bringing back <laughs> Spaceman, so cool. Also, um,
0: <laughs> oh, movie props. That's kind of one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah big time, yeah. big time. Sometimes yeah. you just randomly need to go into those places. Yeah, lazies, yeah you know? for sure.
2: I mean, yeah, if you uh, you're making a Lego movie, like one of those home Lego movies. Have you guys seen those? On no. On- you haven't seen the, like, Lego movie things? that no, Where they like, make, like, like a stop movie... stop-motion Lego? Yeah, where they, like, remake, like, the Matrix with Legos. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, Check that out. Oh, yeah. People do them all the time. They, oh, I mean, wow. they call them Lego movies. And um, if you watch, like, the... I think it's uh, the Lego... They call it the Lego Brickumentary. It's a documentary about Lego. And I've seen that one, yeah. Um, it's full of, like, all these people who are extremely passionate about making Lego movies and making products that are like that you know like there's one guy who his business is making legit guns that legos like guys can hold so he makes like ak-47s <laughs> and, you know he makes like m4s i, I don't even know m16 that's, that's what i'm talking about uh so i don't know that much about guns just call it duty guns um but uh, <laughs> he, that's like his business. And because and Lego's not going to make that because it's like a kid's toy, right? So, but he can do it. You know what I mean? That's so,
1: cool. Yeah. So you got so all the people weird. that will buy his thing because they want to make a particular, you know, recreate a particular scene from Black Hawk Down or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, or that's or cool.
2: they'll, you know, they'll do like a big. Thing. You know, like a big battle, you know, on a, like a landscape. But people use it to make little home movies, and they're, they're sometimes they're really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I should check that out. Yeah, I should? mean, I
0: think Nolan started when he was like a kid with his brother. They made little Super Eight movies using like the Green Army guys and stuff like that. You know, his little oh yeah, the toys little like war that.
2: guys, yeah. So. I wonder if he'll throw a shot in uh, Dunkirk <laughs> like that from, <laughs> from the old, like, he'll just cut to it randomly, like someone dying, like, psh- the guy's like
0: kneeling, like, flicking <laughs> it or something. I hope it's, like a, like, a pose one where it's, like, the guy's kneeling on the ground and he's got the bayonet <laughs> rifle over his head and yeah. he has to stab someone and it just yes.
3: looks, looks completely
0: out of place, but it's this homage to the, the, the little army figure. Yeah, that one's, that's, that one's for him. <laughs> oh, my God, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what are we even talking about? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> <The> Reservoir Dogs and <laughs> Tarantino. Hella tangent.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, t- see,
0: we didn't do our tangents at the beginning of the episode, so now I we're doing it we, in the middle.
2: Yeah, you're welcome, viewers. We heard your <laughs> feedback.
0: <laughs> so, um, I got a couple ideas here that I want to talk about. And I think the first one I want to kind of bring up is his... Tarantino-isms and you can definitely see them starting here in this film I think one of the most obvious ones is where you have these essentially extremely evil characters who have you know their moral compass is way off and they have these like crazy mundane you know conversations while they're doing things that are not mundane or that are are essentially bad you know for lack of a better term like obviously the famous scene of that is the you know the beginning of Pulp Fiction where they're in the car and then when they're in the apartment and whatnot. but then you even have it here where like you know they're talking about you got Keitel and Roth in the car and they're kind of talking about you know, going over the exact plan, and you know, so and so will do this, and so and so will do that, and he's got that, and he's got the crowd, and whatnot, and you know, they bring up the fact that Cartel's like, oh, that chick over there, and he's like sitting on my dick or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, it's like these little weird asides where the characters kind of have this like normalcy almost, but they're mm-hmm. doing these super awful. And I think the whole beginning of Reservoir of Our Dogs were. Tarantino's going on a spiel about uh, Madonna's song and like they're having this conversation about uh, sex and music and like basically they all just essentially right before that plan to do the heist you know that was like I think that's supposed to be the morning of the heist you know, before yeah, they're they out getting and, and like breakfast things.
2: and and stuff. Yeah, exactly. and they talk and they talk about the tipping thing, which is a really interesting yeah thing because that that's something that totally exists in the world. You know, like there are some people out there, and like I think everyone has that like internal battle with themselves. Like, should I be tipping? Should I not be tipping? You know, like if I tip nothing, like am I an asshole? You know what I mean? And you totally. just kind of see it play it out on on screen and it is super mundane but it's really cool because like you know I've seen this movie a thousand times when I first watched this I was like what is this movie
0: <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? but it's then fun-
2: it was now I like love it because it's like I'm <laughs> this is setting this thing up and it's making me feel this certain way to like right. heighten this action that's going to happen later you know and, super and it's cool.
0: like it's so relatable like you said, like the conversation yes. itself is relatable. Yeah. But then also, it's not just a conversation. He's revealing things about character with those conversations. You know what I mean? Like you kind of get, get the vibe of Mr. Brown, Tarantino's character, when he's talking about Madonna's song is about her taking all this dick or whatever. And I guess actually she, after the movie was released, she sent a letter to him and actually explained that the song was not about that and it was actually about something else. So yeah, I she, she
1: sent him her CD of uh, her next album, Erotica.
3: Oh, no, really? It's
1: it's, <laughs> it's, hilarious. Like it's it's not about dick. Yeah, he basically shoots it like, love. you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about love, not, di- exactly. not dick. Exactly. And then,
0: it's you hilarious. know, like, these little things are dropped in with character. Like, Mr. Blue kind of gets a couple of little lines here. His character's pretty minor overall, but, you know, the one of the things he says is, what do you want her to do? Take you in the back and suck your dick? You know, like, you kind of get an idea of, like, the type of guy he is, right? And then you have Mr. Pink, obviously, who doesn't want to tip. He's kind of more for himself, right? Like, I worked in job at McDonald's where I didn't get tipped so why do these people deserve to get tipped and you know it's it's my money and it's your problem and you should be if you don't like it then get a new job you know what I mean and then you have Mr. White who's not afraid to necessarily stand up to Joe you know he's kind of got more of a relationship there where he snatches away his book and he's telling him you know shut the fuck up for saying you're yeah, trying to figure out the the name over and over. Yeah, and then and that's I think, like his boss. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he's, yeah, not afraid. Exactly, and I think the most telling character trait is when Joe comes back and he picks up the tip and he's like counting it. and He's like, "Who didn't tip?" And then Mr. Orange, Tim Roth, is the first one to answer. Mr. Pink, <laughs> Mr. Pink, why didn't you tip? He says he don't believe in it. You don't believe in it, you know throw it and then he goes on to say one more thing I can't remember exactly what he says but then he's like shut up so that tells you like Mr. Orange is the squealer he's not afraid to just say he's not afraid to point fingers you know what I mean and when he eventually yeah. is revealed as the cop as the person who set everyone up anyway so like this super mundane conversation and suddenly you're like wow I actually know something about these characters now Like, I, yeah.
1: I think that's like the brilliance of Tarantino Yeah, because his writing he's so true to the characters, his characters, are so uh, well drawn, and and like they're 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 deep, even though we don't necessarily how deep they are. Right. But they are in his head, right. and because of that, their actions are true to what the character is, and uh, and he 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 only gets better with it. Totally, you know. I actually yeah, read but, this. Yep. I
0: read this article, this interview that he did. Uh, I read this today, and he was basically like, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he was like, you know, have you heard of method acting? Well, I'm kind of like a method writer, where I will literally, like, try to live in these people when I write the characters to the point where, like, I guess he was saying that actually in, like, Jackie Brown, he, uh, S- Samuel L. Jackson's character, Ordell Robbie, um he actually was having a lot of trouble with that character because he couldn't snap himself out of trying to live that character. And I guess it went on for like a year of like, he was having these like issues because he like, couldn't separate himself from the character and trying to, and trying to understand what the character would be like. And that's why when you, when you like what we were saying earlier, like when you have, uh, Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa and you have Mr. Pink, they're still the same, you can tell it's from the same person, but they're so distinctive because he spends so much time being the character and being true to the fact that even if you're a minor character in the scene, like with Mr Blue, they're still he's still likely spent some time living Mr. Blue, and most writers will have like these in depth character histories mm-hmm. and blueprints and and profiles so that they can and you know essentially live these characters and give them. Stuff to say that the character would say because when you have a dialogue scene, you want your characters to feel full-bodied. You know, you want to feel like, wow, you've actually, you know, if you're a detective, like, wow, you've actually been and done like hundreds of cases before. This is not your first one, you know? And then like someone who's trying to hide something, you want to feel like, what is that feeling of actually trying to hide something, you know, and what would you actually say, you know, that you want to try and find some truth. And even like, even though his dialogue is so heightened and his characters are so flamboyant there's still like a truth to how those characters would react you know I mean, Yeah, it, a, a lot yeah. of writers
2: do that like a lot of, like where they like live the character you know what i mean and be each character because you kind of have to you know you're the first one to kind of see the movie it, it, as the writer which i think it kind of makes that handoff so hard when you like hand it off to a director totally. But then when you have uh, someone who's writing and directing it, um, they it's kind of interesting because it seems like it would be harder to allow, like, an actor to portray that if you have this other thing in your head and if you are trying to um, also direct. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it feels like you would want... It your way, so mm-hmm. almost sort of a thing. Um, but I, I, w- you know, I think it works really well, and you know, I praise people who can who can actually do that. And Tarantino yeah. is one of those people where I feel like he, when he gets on set, yeah he he knows the backstory of the characters, and he he's very traditional in in that sense where he he gives that to you know the actors and says like, hey, this is your backstory. You know what I mean?
0: And um, I think that's why novelists are so impressive because like you know they're the they're the true people who kind of build it from scratch I think you know movies are built from scratch but a lot of times I think movies almost just the way that they are just naturally they pull from so many things right you're, you're always taking something and novels too but at the same time it's like you know there's so much more work inside your own head that you have to go through to get a novel I mean try, think of like George R.R. R. Martin writing Game of Thrones and all those characters and Each one of those characters has a backstory, a connection, a familial line. Maybe the familial lines touched, you know, years ago, and now they're touching again. Like, the lore of that series is absolutely astoundingly insane. Yeah. You know, it, and, and like extensive, yeah. Extensive and like, he had like spend Tolkien, ta- yeah. Right. And he had spent time building it. A Tolkien for sure. I mean everyone yep. takes from Tolkien for sure. And he was the kind of the granddaddy of of building these worlds and like, you know, he had to live Frodo's life and he had to live Samwise's life and he had to live Aragon's life and he had to feel like these characters came from somewhere. And when it comes to like making like a movie especially, like there's no other way to do it. You have to have character profiles. You have to know who they are. You have to give them a life. You have to... You know, they, they've, they've done something. They've been somewhere. They've lived something. They've loved someone. They've hated someone. You know? Yeah.
2: Whatever they, the, yeah, the case they just, is. Really, they just have to feel like they have a character. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, they the after you come out of the movie, you have to feel like that is a person like someone yep. thought of this and made them a person which is something Tarantino's is really good at yep. did he actually like go through and write character profiles for each person probably but probably well you know we'll never know but i would say probably yes i would
0: say that's like the biggest difference between like a student film and a regular film too is because student film is like they you know they look at reservoir dogs and they'd say let 's take a guy in a suit and have him be in a heist, but yeah. then they won 't take the time <laughs> to say well, I've, I've why made that <laughs> but why is this guy wearing a suit what right. What brought him to actually wearing it? you know they 're like,, well, it just looks cool okay but there 's so then you 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 know we 're really good at picking up on whether a, a character in a story has depth, you know, and I just look at how touching fiction and stories are to the human race in general how much you know we can talk about fictional characters as if they're real people and they experience these things like you know you feel for the fact that this person like lost that person or they had to fight for that or they had to fight for you know whatever you right. know, we, we we talk about them as if they're real people when they're not so like giving them depth is the only reason why we feel like we can talk about them yeah, like,
1: at yeah. All. What? I have something curious, to say Byron?
0: Oh, yeah, go ahead, Byron.
1: Um, I think it says a lot that Tarantino, you know, plans to do only ten films. And then after his his filmography is done, that he just wants to do film theory writing and maybe get into the novel world. Um, because, interesting. Yeah, because yeah, his – I mean, and this is something I want to touch on later. I, maybe not this episode, but – you know, the whole thing of Tarantino as writer and Tarantino as director and how they do differ. Um, yes. And how they complement each other and, and, and how sometimes maybe there's even a little bit of a, a back and forth, uh, with that. But, but I think his characters, I mean, he, and even the way Reservoir Dogs is set up with the different chapters and the different, uh, and most of his films, not Jackie Brown, but, uh, in the time order and stuff it's very novel-esque and i think yeah. like th- his characters are are written as if they were written for a novel and it's interesting to see that you know after his 10 year or 10 film thing happens whether or not that's actually going to happen or not who knows <laughs> right but ho- hopefully not I have um, um, my doubts oh, i got it. yeah th- he says a lot of stuff that he you know. Yeah. So, like, but it, I think it says a lot that him mean, he he has a novelist's, like it's it's mind. prosy. He, yeah, he has yeah. he has really prosy dialogue. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. like, but I mean, just his the the history that's in his head that we don't see on the screen, but yet it's there somehow. You know like it right. is is fascinating and i and and i'm really curious to, to i'm actually read i'm, I'm of willing to guarantee novels.
0: that he did character profiles actually because you can't make a movie without i mean you've literally you're talking to like twenty different departments of people you have to have a character profile like literally, you, you literally can't not because you got under like you have a hairdresser who's wondering how he's styling their hair you know you got to think about facial hair if you're, if you're a guy or whatever. Uh, the costume for sure what are they wearing why are they wearing it you know it, it's super telling if someone's wearing a business suit versus wearing um, a letter jacket you know or yeah. if they're wearing yeah. just a white t-shirt or if they're wearing you know if they only dress in um, primary colors or something you know like mm-hmm. we have to figure out well how do they talk What's their? What, are they Spanish? Are they from a French background? Are they American? What part of America? Right, you right. You know, like, and then you look at like, okay, if if they were part of a certain America or a certain place in America, then who are their parents? Did their parents influence how they dress? Because if that's so, do they still dress how their parents dressed them? Are they going against what their parents? Yeah,
2: thought? I, I, you know? I get your point, and I, I think. I've heard things about Tarantino being that person who like writes those things down or talks to the actors about it. I guess when I was saying that before, I don't, I don't think you necessarily, if you're a director or writer, you don't, maybe you don't need that. Like, because an actor can, you know, who's uh, Cronenberg? He doesn't, he just writes the script, right, and then
0: goes.
3: Yeah, 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 but he still, but he
0: has. I guarantee you Cronenberg has still developed a profile for the characters because especially oh, yeah. if you don't yeah. have a script, you better know who your characters are because you can't have them, well, one, breaking their own rules that you set up in the movie. But yeah. how do you get through a scene or get them to improvise a scene if you don't have anything to give the actor to go off of? Unless that's what you're trying well, to do, I suppose. I, I, but. Think,
2: I think some directors, maybe some directors will do like like a um, they'll let the actors fill it in you know what I mean like yeah, but even that to is cast like what an actor, an actor does but even you know to I mean? cast it's an like actor
0: gay. you have to have some knowledge of who your character is you know like even Lynch who's known for not giving them any sort of information on what a scene is or how they're supposed to play out a scene He still had to have some idea, have some character profile of, like, okay, I'm casting Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive because I'm looking for a young woman, blonde, who's got this look where she comes into Hollywood as, like, this pure thing and then gets corrupted later on or whatever, right? Or, like, you can't just be like, well, this is a female character, so I'm going to cast a man. It it doesn't necessarily work like that. You got to have some sort of profile. That that
2: does happen. Okay, it does happen. In the movie Go, like, the main chick was, like... This black, like a super black person, like it, she was written as like a very dark skinned but black you, person. Okay, and then but it was played by a white have, blonde.
0: But now you have that profile, and then that influences how your characters interact in the movie. I mean, I think Jackie Brown is a good example of this too, where in the novel that it was based off of Rum Punch, she was white, and then he, oh, in trying to develop, <clears throat> excuse me, in trying to develop the character and adapt it to a screenplay, was he was. He what he did was he he was writing down a list of all the people he thought could play. It was Jackie Burke was her name yeah, in the, in the, Burke, in the yeah. novel, and he just had this whole list. And essentially, his whole list was white people, like white, white female actors. And uh, eventually, he was just kind of like had a weird random thought and was like, Pam Greer oh wait that works so let's make her black well what is making her black do well it, it like fills in all these little gaps of like well she's struggling there's like this like you know this this she's trying to Get out of the the lower income area that she's at, and then what does she do? Well, she might turn to crime, you know. And then right. now you have it brings white, in like
2: a socioeconomic. Yeah, factor you have like white,
0: you know, detectives trying to influence this black person, and how does that play out? You know, like right. It, a character profile is 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 you can't
1: have anything without it. At I the think. same time, like not to like disagree with you or whatever, but like like Someone's for me, conflict. Well, for, <laughs> <I'm> like <Ryan. laughs> well, like, for me, like, I've, like, you know, like, listening to Tarantino talk and stuff, I know that he's he's not only collaborative, but, like, I think he, it, at least in his head, those character profiles exist. I don't know if they come out on paper or even if the actors see that, but, like, I okay, so, for example, you know, with Hans Landa, you know, he, he, he auditioned uh, a lot of actors for that role, and... When Christoph Waltz walked in and, and and just killed it, like he just, there was something that he did that Tarantino knew, like oh, this is the guy. And I don't think Christoph Waltz knew the character yeah. super well, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and but then, but I think it's, I think it's like the conversations on set, the conversations before. The film is set When the costume designer is with the director And the actor And they're sitting in a room together Trying on different items When all of that really becomes Together and cohesive And that's when Tarantino is like You know what? I'm thinking When Hans Landa pulls out His big pipe um, that. That sounded dirty. Um, his, like, you know, his, his when he when he takes out his big uh, Sherlock Holmes, you know, uh, pipe. Like he, the reason why he wanted that particular type of pipe, um, and, and he, how he got the prop people was because of a certain thing. But I don't think. He necessarily told Christoph Waltz, like, totally. this is a type of... Like, it's like...
0: We're, we're not disagreeing here at all. Right, like, right. We're, no, no, we're no. talking no. about... Yeah. Like, what I'm talking about is, like, the point leading up to when Tarantino was in the audition room, and you're... And, yeah, yeah. You're totally right, where it's like, then, in the audition room, someone else brought something else to the table, because you know Tarantino might not have thought of Hans Landa as that initially but he had a profile to get him right. to the point where exactly. he thought about it like he knew yeah. that Hans Landa was going to be this guy who's like who's very very comfortable in his position <laughs> yeah. knows what he's looking for he's gonna be wordy because that's just the type of characters he likes I mean yeah. look at the dentist guy in um, Django or whatever Schultz um, He so he knew that but then to have someone actually embody it but in a way that's different of course like that's but that's just building the ne- the next character profile. So right. it's just layers of the yeah, profile. Yeah, you know? yeah,
2: it's like shifting it. Yeah, and maybe maybe we have a deferring um, idea of what a character profile is. Um, maybe that's why we're
0: talking about this so much. Um, I mean, I think a character, but profile yeah, is I, just every, is literally writing down. My character is a man, thirty five, long hair, hippie, wears raggedy clothes, doesn't have a girlfriend. Is gay, whatever. Start listing sure. off aspects of a per- like. If I yeah, started yeah. listing off or talking about you, you know, versus Byron or something, you know, like
1: yeah, it's funny because like when I when I read because I've read quite a um, maybe, not all of I haven't I don't think I've read Death Proof and I haven't read the hateful Eight screenplay, but I've read a lot of his screenplays. Just you know, just the the. I just like to read them too. um And he has a lot of that information within the screenplay. Exactly. Um, So, like, he knows... And most of the time, it's and most of all that stuff, that information yeah, is is there. That's the, not at the beginning, a you know. Character profile, that's the script. Like, yeah, no, right? It's, if if the character if that's profile's what's in the, the script, script yeah. Well, yeah, but to but, me, that's different because I like don't. Character profile is like a separate document. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't I, yeah, this, clearly, it's a separate. Like document. This is just me. I don't even know if Tarantino. Like, I don't know if he really has a separate document. I think he's so. He 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 is so good at what he does. I at this point. I and I even at when he was. When First, When he was first starting to write screenplays, I really think he has that innate ability to create a character and keep it in his head, and he doesn't have to write it down. I think he, like most of the stuff that you see in his films—and this is just me. This is my opinion— and from what I can like read and what I've r- heard him talk about, it just seems like he he knows his characters so well because obviously they come from his head. I don't think he has to write them down. I think he knows once he gets right. a particular because, idea because he, he knows he that it. character. He, he
2: wrote these characters, right, right? You know what I mean. And when you're the writer and the director, you and don't I, really need to. Have that doc-
1: document. Yeah, I think and, yeah. And it, and when
2: you it comes to like,
1: you know, like other departments, I don't think he goes and like gives them like a, do- a dossier about, you know, like this is Hans Landa and this is what he's going to be wearing. I think he g- goes in, he has a conversation with the, the costume designer or whatever, and the costume designer um, normally will read the script, come up with their own ideas, and then between the two of them, I think they'll hash it out. And I, and I know. Tarantino is very opinionated, so I'm sure everything <laughs> no, is <he's> not <laughs> i am sure everything is you know uh correctly based on what the character he was envisioned like it, it it's all his vision, however the costume designer or the prop maker or um the makeup designer whoever it is um they're bringing a little bit of their own. To it because of what they've read in the script and what was written in the script. However, there there, is that overarching uh, vision of Tarantino's, and I think that's what makes his film so brilliant. That to me, but I could be wrong. I I, I could be wrong. I mean, he could he could write it all out, but I I really think his huge talent of his is that he can just do it. Like, and that's why it seems so natural to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out out with what you're saying.
2: Like, I think that it's about how he he approaches it in a way that maybe he's not writing it down. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like he knows exactly, like, who these people are and what's going on. I, I, and whether it's important that he writes down a document like I don't really think that's important.
3: No. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like, I just really I've never what's... heard him talk about that. I've only heard him yeah, talk I mean? about writing his script. I've never heard him talk about pre-writing yeah. or or writing character bios or anything like that. I cuz he he writes as he goes along. He doesn't have a pre Sometimes he has like okay this is the beginning, this is the end, but he doesn't know what's going to happen in between. And as he's writing, all this goes on, and he finds his characters through that whole process. And from all the interviews that I've heard and read about, like, that's what it seems like to me. But I could be wrong. I'm I mean, going
3: to go
0: out on a limb here and and say that everyone who makes a story is writing it down <clears throat> at some point. Whether, like, to have a really... Um, what's the right word like to have a good for lack of a better term a good conversation like for example if you're a director trying to talk to your costume designer to have the most fruitful relevant and like the best conversation you can have you're not going to just sit there and necessarily try and describe something to to them as you're talking to them i mean you will obviously but i'm saying like tarantino is not going to sit there and go well i've been picturing this like long coat and but oh wait was that for like a different character? No, like, you know what I mean. Like, had yeah, to I'm your sure. There's like designer, notes like, and stuff for just sure. Like, look at yeah. the Hateful Eight's costumes and how so detailed those costumes costumes were. You know, the different hats they were wearing, the the, the different coats and the thicknesses,
1: yeah. whether it was fur. I think the that beards. detail though is the costume designer. Yeah. Or I, the yes. Production. Yes. Yes. No. No. Yeah. Yes.
0: One hundred percent. The costume designer had a huge influence. But okay, if if he didn't specifically write down that. He's wearing a coonskin cap. Then he had a picture, or he had a reference, or there was—that's what I'm talking about. It's—it's—it's it's, it's the reference that's important. Right. And when you're dealing with like with so many characters, you know, I, I, especially in like the Hateful Eight, where each character is so different, even a guy like Tarantino, I guarantee you, wrote down somewhere. But most of that's in the script. Like I all get that it. stuff, in you know the what script, I mean. But it got into the script because right. he p- most likely, like, how do you write a scene with two characters if you if you like, I have Joe and I have Jane. Cool.
1: So I guess the only thing I for, like I, sounds I, like an
0: Adam Sandler movie. The only reason you start having interesting <laughs> characters interact is because you have. You start with I have Joe and I have Jane. Well, why are yeah. they in the room? Because Joe is a thief and he wants to take the the stuff from Jane. Okay, now you that is building the character profile yeah, right, right there. So yes, in the in yes. the screenplay you should be revealing parts of your profile, you know, little ticks that a character does within that. What they wear, what they say, stuff like that. But that's yeah. only because at some point Tarantino was like, I want a guy who's fucking Davy Jones or uh Davy Crockett or whatever the fuck, you know, like you know something like that. Like Yeah. Whether or yeah. not it's you know, he, so almost he definitely. What,
2: what you're I, saying is like the script informs the character profile, and sort of both.
0: Thing. It's, and just both. A, it's yeah. cyclical and circular, and yeah. you almost everything in filmmaking influences it, itself and each other, yeah. and
2: and all that. Like, I, I think there's know. some truth to that. You know what I mean? I don't. I mean, we weren't there, so we can't really speak to it. We could probably guess, but I mean, as far as like there being. A char- oh, oh, like, you know, Steve Buscemi's character, like Mr. Pink, like huge character in the movie, right? Like you could probably just read the script and you could figure out the kind of character that guy is like. He doesn't tip. He's really selfish. You know, that's kind of what's important for the story. But all the little micro details that kind of Steve, Steve Buscemi kind of brings to it, um, m- maybe not in the character profile, but maybe a character profile would help him with his character i think a, a
0: good example of what you're talking about too in reservoir dogs is uh when michael madsen is left alone with the cop and uh i was reading this thing that michael met Ma- uh, this it's like a short little question that michael madsen answered and basically he was like you know the the cop the line that the cop says where he's like look man i got kids at home was uh improv and it actually threw Michael Madsen off so much that he almost, like, lost his character. Like, he had almost <laughs> hit him so hard because that because of – I mean, think about it. He's looking at a guy who's been in this makeup that made him look nasty and deformed. And he essentially – his yeah. character just cut his ear off and is torturing the shit out of him and messing with him. And, like – And he was the, a
1: recent father, I think, right? Michael probably, Madsen.
0: which is probably why it hit him yeah. even more. But the <laughs> reason why that cop – Thought to say that was because between him and Tarantino and whoever else he interacted with on the set had this idea of who this cop was right. and gave this cop some sort of history as part of his yeah. character profile. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of could, course the actor yeah. is going to bring something to it. Like Christoph Waltz. Yeah,
1: it like, could be that. Yeah, because like Christoph Waltz has said in interviews I've heard him and on multiple occasions whether it's with Schultz or Londa, um, he, he said that him and Tarantino would have discussions and they would go over. The history, of course, you know, of yeah. course, because like, Tarantino is that kind of director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, he's, he's like tradition. nobody else knows, but I know. No, what happened in 1860, yeah. whatever, when yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is cool. Ninety-five percent of a profile,
0: that, you know what I mean? Ninety-five percent of a profile is going to be shit that you don't give a crap about. Yeah. But as an actor, how do you portray a character yeah. if you don't? I mean, that's why that's method gold. acting is yeah. a thing. And why Daniel Day-Lewis is considered as crazy and extreme as he is because he li- – and Shia LaBeouf, actually, to a degree, too. They, like, right. live these lives because that's how you understand. If you just say, an actor, you're a white dude in your 30s. Yes, I am a white dude in my 30s. Cool. So what are we doing here? What, who is this character? What am I? What are we doing? Like, hello, yeah. I need something, yeah, you know? Right. Yeah. This is this is
2: a slightly off topic, but – um, or I guess it's sort of on topic, but – Um, I had an actor tell me that method acting is not what people think it is the other day Um, so he said that like Daniel Day-Lewis and um, you know Heath Ledger like that's not actually method acting method acting is like when you associate an outer like a visual or a smell or a sound and that helps you get into character so he was saying that he studied the method acting and uh, basically, co- the smell of coffee uh, reminds him of an event in his life that makes makes him cry, right? So if he ever wants to tear up, he gets a hot cup of coffee, smells the shit out of it, and then he's ready to go. And so that's, <laughs> like, the whole idea of, like, method acting is, like, you're using these external things to... Um,
0: bring emotion to your character but so in help informing that wouldn't method as, acting always also be like you know for example I, I, okay so the example that i'm more familiar with is shia labeouf and fury so he spent a bunch of time like weeks and weeks and months beforehand essentially not bathing not doing anything hygienic i think he went so i don't think it was a th- might have been with Fury. you went so far as like yank his tooth out or something like yeah, he pull, so yeah he pulls essentially out. what they're saying what and to help inform what you just said jacob is like maybe you don't have those experiences so you're giving those those experiences to yourself so that later on in the sense like i didn't have this sadness attached to coffee but because i did this for myself to get into this role i suddenly have this weird uh, like sad attachment to coffee or something you know what I mean like I've lived in a cabin with no water and pissed and shit outside and was alone in the woods and heard all the crazy stuff and was terrified for like three weeks so like now I have a place to draw from you know what I mean I think
2: I think it's yeah I, I get what you're saying but he was saying that that's what people and you know I'll have to look this up after the podcast but he said that that is exactly what method acting isn't like it's not Going and living for like two years as Abraham Lincoln. Um, so I'll look. I'll look it up after the podcast. And it's and funny. Are you sure he's, like like he's not
0: talking about like a, the other school of acting? I can't remember it. Where essentially the idea is that as an actor, you should be able to switch it on and off. Like regardless. no, because
2: smelling coffee <laughs> is is not switching it on and off. That that would be like using
1: external things. Well, it's uh, funny because I'll, like, I'll look it up afterwards. like Daniel Day Lewis. I know he he does both though. Because like. When he did Gangs of New York, he listened to that—I forget the exact song—but he listened to this Eminem song every day on his way to set to just get him into that mood. Of yeah, that—that that that is method acting, right? 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 Yes. At the same time, he's also living in his character, uh, you know, uh, living right. in the clothes and, and stuff like that. But uh, uh, and keep in the with the same. I mean, accent it's, like it's got to be both, right? Like, okay, here okay, I, mean, I, I have it on Wikipedia, actually. A widespread okay.
2: misconception about method acting, particularly in the popular media, equates method actors with actors who choose to remain in character even off stage or off camera for the duration of the project.
0: So, what is that
2: called then, if they do do that? That is a good question, and that's that's why I wanted to look it up because I'm not
1: sure what you would call it. I mean, um, I think it's maybe uh, psychotic. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think I think what I think the reason why it's being called method acting is because. Like I just said, Daniel Day-Lewis is using the method acting uh, techniques, right? Using external sources to l- get him to feel a certain way. At the same time, he's using that in combination with um, with living as the character. And I think a lot of the actors that live as character do the method acting, and it's become in synonymous. Addition. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because, I, think I mean, right. you, you look at Jared Leto, you look at Heath Ledger, you look at these guys that have used method acting. Not only are they just living as these characters, but they're using external sources to keep this living as a character alive. You know what I mean? Because right. like, because they're oh, not... It's, they're, oh, I know what it is. Sorry. It's called the Meisner technique. Meisner that's what it, technique. That's what yeah, that's called. Yeah. When
2: you live off screen, it's called Meisner. But method is the using the external... Thanks. Yeah, that sounds right. Because, yeah. like, yep. the Meisner method. Just to clear that up, because yeah. <laughs> I hear it all the time, and it's, like, now after that guy told me, I was, like, anytime I hear it, I'm, like, I feel like I have to spread this news because, like,
1: it's wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think people know that, though. I think it's just one of those things that people – I mean, not a lot. I mean, like, you know what I mean. Like, I yeah. think people are – I think the term method acting is – it's it's loose now. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of
0: what I was thinking.
2: Yeah, like it's yeah. more loose.
1: It's the, it's the Michael Bay of, of it's a right? You know yeah, what I mean?
2: it's like yeah. everyone. That's the one <laughs> people can name.
1: I think it's because, like, people like Shia LaBeouf and 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 Daniel Day Lewis and Christian Bale that when that when they use the method acting, they're they're also using the Meisner technique. So yeah, when, I, I think it's I think it's in reverse though, because
2: people think that it's off, like they're being that character all the time. You know what I mean? Like I feel like they were doing the Meisner technique, but they are also doing method. See, that's not I, like, what necessarily what
0: I was thinking. I was just thinking like you do something you you do something off-screen that's not necessarily your character, but that something your character might do. Like for example, like living, like not bathing or something, right? Or uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I just read this recently too where he he basically spent like The whole production, not like he was a mute character or like a a mute character or whatever, so he spent the whole production like actually not talking to anyone. So, like, I think think that'd be Meisner, okay? okay, Well, bad example. Uh, What I'm saying is, like, Daniel Day Lewis goes off to live in the woods for X period of time, so like I said, so that he has some sort of basis for what he's doing, so that he can use the method later to recall, like, for example, like if I lived out in the woods for a bunch of time and I became, like, more familiar with nature, maybe the smell of pine, like you said, the smell of coffee sets off a certain, like, emotion. Right. So he's just yeah. giving himself the tools so that later on he he's can He's giving actually... himself the method. Exactly. Yeah. He's giving yeah. it to himself so that he can <laughs> he can pull it up later. Whereas I'm not necessarily saying he's living as Lincoln. You know, maybe he does that as well, but I'm I'm not saying he did do that leading up to the role. Yeah, I'm thinking he's right.
1: using the Meisner technique to get to the method. I think Meisner
0: Meisner to me is more like the way we're describing it here is like when you start shooting. Okay. Method is, like, method is something that comes beforehand. Like, for example, with your friend, the coffee thing came beforehand, so now he has a method to develop the tears and the sadness. Whereas the Meisner thing is, like, we're shooting. I'm not breaking character. It's not like I was being the character as we led up to it. It's like, no, I was kind of, like, trying to get into character. But I wasn't living the character, you know, whereas, like, on set, you know, like, I heard that Jared Leto, you said that, uh, his name earlier, earlier, and i think when he did the joker he was like always screwing with people on set because he wouldn't give up his yeah. role as the joker
2: he yeah he sent people uh dead fish yeah in boxes like, and
1: like, like urine and stuff yeah, like that. yeah. oh urine yes house, that's the one yeah. yeah
0: so he was living the Meisner method or meth, or you know technique or whatever he was doing that you know yeah. i think that's really the key difference that we're hitting on here
2: yeah i think you're right um and I think that you can do method without Meisner. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that is like the people who are saying, "Oh, Heath Ledger's a method actor. Really, he's a Meisner actor, but he also can do method too." You know what I mean? But you know, it. No one knows any ethic techniques techniques unless you are an actor or a director, right. or, or you know what I mean. But like the average moviegoer thinks
1: method is one thing, and it's actually it's actually Meisner is what they. I think it is well now that we've cleared it up to the people we're never going to hear that again
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Now, now everyone knows. So everyone's going to be proper. Dude,
0: this podcast is going to spread the word. Yeah, so When we make it Guys, big. We're yeah, if if we're changing, we're like a hundred episodes deep. If we have we're like changing the world. thousands, tens of thousands of listeners, <laughs> we're gonna affect. Yeah, I feel like by the it.
2: time we reach a hundred, like all my opinions are going to change, <laughs> and I'll just be embarrassed about the, like the first like ten, maybe know, maybe yeah, the first ninety like, episodes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll we'll be like, oh shit. By the end of it, we'll be like all like politically correct and no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll be annoying,
2: but if we, if we weren't, we'll be more annoying. That's, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> we'll be the face of Pepsi. <laughs> oh yeah, Pepsi. <laughs> Drink Pepsi. Pepsi One. Uh, Thank you for this paid endorsement.
0: Goddamn, yeah. Pepsi, please endorse
2: us. <laughs> please endorse us. Uh, what are the, what's the sock again? Roomba socks. Rumbo. Oh. Boom,
0: bum, bum, boom. Bombus. Bombus Socks. Bombus yes. Socks. And Blue Apron. Hunt a Killer. Oh, I haven't um, heard any apron. of this. That's uh, good. Yeah, Blue Apron's good. Adam and Eve. Paps. But Blue that's Ribbon. probably not appropriate for yeah. us. Uh,
2: the Pope. <laughs> Christianity. <laughs> the Pope. <laughs> give us money. Give us money out of the
0: baskets. Dude, I even heard podcasts where they will give a spiel about a new TV show coming out. Were they, dude, yeah, I, they've literally advertised on TV shows.
1: Guys, guys, you guys see the new Walking Dead series? It's amazing. Oh <laughs> God, exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Fear of the Walking Dead. <laughs> I should just start writing down, dude. I know like all the freaking. I've heard all the sponsors. So Stamps.com dot com, is a huge, huge uh, ear, sponsor. Earwolf, right? They do podcasts, but they also sponsor on podcasts, right? They like host it, probably. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, there's a whole slew of podcasts I don't listen to. So, like, you know, sponsors kind of tailor themselves to the audience, right? Right. Like, that's why I'm saying, like, Adam and Eve wouldn't necessarily be an appropriate sponsor for us because that's right. all about, like, Sex related things, you know. So Well Um i
2: and Eve, yeah. we could change. Yeah. We can change the podcast. We have viewership. <laughs> I, I think Nate Sautel listens to this. Shout out to Nate. Ooh. Shout out to Nate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: he's listened to a couple of our
2: episodes. Uh, if he listens to this and messages me, I I will
0: I will give you a prize. <laughs> <laughs> if
2: you get this far.
0: I'd like to remind you that Jacob lives in Arizona, so. Yeah, you know. But
2: I'm moving <laughs> in like three weeks. Two, I know. I, I, and I, a half I, weeks. I see all your boxes, dude. Behind yeah, you. Yeah, that's why I have moving boxes behind me.
0: Yeah. Nice. Good, good stuff. <laughs> You're moving back to Washington, right?
2: Is that what's uh, going on? Yeah. To we're living with some friends in Tacoma for a couple months, and then I'm moving back in with my parents. Nice. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> no. how it goes, man. You know, Tiff's in grad school, and you know,
0: yeah, you guys are trying to get married and stuff too. So we're getting
2: married, so we gotta save for the wedding, which is in September. So we just were like, "Hey, can we just live with you?" (laughs) Like it's (laughs) it's so hard because like you know I work, but like I'm a contractor, right? So like, it's sometimes it's hard to say when money is coming in. So when I work for like a month straight, it's awesome, and I'm like, okay, I'm set for like this amount, and I need some extra work now you know what i mean so it's you know
0: the tide is high and the tide is low i mean that's the tide is, is high and low yeah that is yeah. how it goes oh i Which saw your that? i saw your engagement
2: photos or whatever oh photos. yeah man they're Those sweet are adorable yeah, yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. were so cute yeah <laughs> Ooh, thank you uh yeah the person who did that was is super good um yeah they looked good haley a agrin agrin i don't
0: oh, know we'll, we'll you should know how, how to sh- say that
2: I am not sure. We'll put her in the show notes. Um, Shout out to Haley. Yeah, Haley Agrin <laughs> Photography. Well, if you know me, you could just check my Facebook. She's photo. in uh, Arizona. I'm guessing. Yeah, she's an Arizona photographer. Um, she's uh, she's pretty green actually, which is, I was pretty surprised. I was like, oh, you have really good photos, and she's only been shooting uh, for like eight months or something. Oh wow. Like, yeah, and I was like, wow, this is actually really good like I wasn't that good (laughs) after eight months of you know I'm still not this good like how are you doing this Um, so yeah she's pretty cool we actually we collaborated and made a a cinemagraph and I still have to put it together
0: but do you guys know what a cinemagraph is yeah it's like a it's like a, a still photo with like one portion of it that moves
2: yeah so we're we're making one of those and i i I just have to put it together but i'm lazy so you know whatever that's just who i am (laughs) but uh (laughs) we we have like a champagne bottle that i'm like spraying and um basically it's just like the you know the spray is just going up and down and up and down and it but we're stationary so you know pretty excited well I, i got most of it together but there's a couple other tweaks i gotta do make it make it cleaner I I'm excited to post it, man, cuz this is like I love the shoot, but like or I love the photos and stuff, but like having some motion to it, like that I'm just yeah. trying to bring my own thing to it, you know, right. I like that. I like that stuff.
0: All right. Uh on that note, let's yes. let's segue into our, <laughs> our next topic. I can see uh Brian
2: <laughs> over there yawning just like oh, no, come a, on, y- man. I
1: was yawning. I was I was just <laughs> I, I, I was just being dirty in my head my bad. Oh, like I, I, I oh, know, no dude I know. Cause, cause okay you were like okay. saying like up let, and down me, and, and you were like saying stationary yeah. but I was like you mean missionary stationary
3: let me bring
2: this <laughs> let me bring this to your level I actually stationary I put it together
3: stationary is what set you off <laughs> well cause like so it was like stationary paper is that, like that
1: just like your fetish <laughs> okay oh that fresh just cut the that smell, fresh cut right the stationary paper well no cause it's let me say, make he this, was like let saying, "like this I was shaking, like so, like opening the bottle, and, and then like he was like up and down, and then he said stationary, but then I thought missionary, and I was like, wait, what?'" And, I, and yeah, then the then images, it was, it the
0: image of the spewing and then, bottle, yeah. the exploding bottle, yeah. Yeah. and then yeah. Byron
2: yeah. was gone. Okay, but hang yeah. on. So I uh, let me let me let me rephrase <laughs> the beginning of my story. I uh, I had already put it together, right, and I. <laughs> had the bottle and it I you know you obviously you got to shake the bottle and put your thumb on it to like spray it right <laughs> and so when you spray it it starts really fast right and it's spraying really far right and then it like sucks you know then it yeah, like slowly like, like yeah detracts or whatever so I put the gift together but I put it in reverse so it was like <laughs> and then it and then it like slowly like you know it was like like and then it slowly like you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. So there's like a, <laughs> yeah. So and when I'm looking at it, like, and it's, it's not like, right, next to, uh, like, it's like above my chest, but it's like, right at that level where, like, if it was like an inch lower, right. It would be, like, really phallic, but it it seems very phallic for um, what it was because of the motion of the squirt of the bottle. So what I ended up having to change was, like, get rid of that intro part where it's, like, beginning to come out. (laughs) So it's just, like, a constant spray because it honestly, like, the motion of it was, like, not... Yeah, that's, well, that's why. Like, I, that's it, <laughs> I, it would be
1: on Facebook, but but the only reason I'm thinking yeah. the way the, the words you're using, I, I can't help myself. Like, <laughs> like squirt, like <laughs> squirt. I heard what, squirt, squirt, sucking, squirt, come sucking, out, sucking, come out, phallic, phallic Like, I yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. Like they're all words that I was well, and before where I just I couldn't help myself. But that's what I was imagining. Maybe, and I didn't even
2: maybe know. I just need to send you the version I made today <laughs> because I think you'd get the why I didn't post it and why I'm like, oh, I have to. Read Knew this. Yeah,
1: no, I totally feel you. No, I just—it's pretty. Uh, do, know, it's I not just, for everyone. <laughs> I wasn't yawning. I was just like smirking because, yeah. like, I, I was just <laughs> Dude, in my. I was just, totally in, my, joking, I was just in my own head.
2: <laughs> oh, thank Dude, God. I, yeah, no, I'm not trying to criticize <laughs> you or anything. Holy shit!
0: Oh how good. do we recover from this? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. think.
2: I think we just end the
0: podcast.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save Jackie Brown for another <laughs> day.
0: God, it's even worse trying to try and transi- transition into Jackie Brown. Oh, damn it. Oh, it's the best. Okay. Well, I'm just going to jump right into it then cuz I don't know how to transition. Do it. At
3: all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> see, this is why we need the beginning portion of the podcast Where we can just spew the random shit
3: and get it out of our system <laughs> I, know. We I <laughs> know,
1: yeah, well at least Viewer, we tried, we tried. Well,
2: we'll see if the viewers like this more Maybe they like it, uh, they, maybe they like like a minute long giggle sesh
1: <laughs> This is like an inter- right. inter- inter- intermission maybe it's Yeah, true. go yeah. get
2: your popcorn We'll, we'll talk about <laughs> failed videos that are very phallic and sexual <laughs> Unintentionally
0: So, yeah, go get this episode of the podcast brought to you by Adam and Eve. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) I know. See, we're we're working in our sponsors. People like this kind of stuff. It's new. That's a hundred million dollar plug right there. Yeah. You had to do it. I know.
0: (laughs) I know. Gosh. Okay. So, our second film is Jackie Brown. Um, so usually in our Masterclass series, we'll be talking about director's films in chronological order. But we thought Pulp Fiction deserved its own episode, so we shifted um, Pulp Fiction to Episode 2 and then paired Our Dogs with Jackie Brown. Uh, made in 1997, Jackie Brown stars Pam Greer, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro, Chris Tucker, and Michael Bowen. Uh, it was written and directed by Tarantino, of course Produced by Lawrence Bender, Richard Gladstein, Elmore Leonard Bob Weinstein, and Harvey Weinstein So Elmore Leonard is actually the author of the original, original novel And he was kind of attached to it I was reading more, not because he had any real producing part in it But for like a financial sake, I guess um, And then, so this kind of, I think Is Pulp Fiction, were the Weinsteins involved with Pulp Fiction? I think they were Okay. Yeah. so it, this starts their kind of long-standing relationship that Tarantino has with the Weinstein Company because um, they've been involved in basically everything since then. Um, so it was shot by Guillermo Navarro, edited by Sally Mank, of course. Production design was by David Wasco, who also did Reservoir Dogs. And costumes were done by Mary Claire Hannon. The film is an adaptation of Elmore Leonard's novel, Rum Punch, uh, Tarantino changed certain characters from white to black, such as Jackie Brown, but kept the plot mostly intact. Uh, obviously, when you're adapting a novel, you still have to cut huge chunks of a novel out because you just don't have enough time in a movie uh, to cover everything a novel does. Uh, it's heavily influenced by exploitation cinema from the 70s, um, although Tarantino specifically states that it is not a black exploitation or black exploitation film, uh, even though it yeah,
2: is... I- I felt that. Yeah, it's, it's really movie. not. I was like, I was expecting a, a black exploitation film, but it's not.
0: Yeah, there's all. elements of it, um, of right. course. Right. And right. <laughs> basically, like, you know, all Tarantino films, uh, it's a, just a combination of genre tropes. Um, I would even say, like, noir is in there a little bit as well. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, kind of, that's in, like, all of his movies.
0: Is yeah. Some kind of noir or neo-noir. Exactly. Um Uh, Also, like many of Tarantino's films, he revitalized the careers of a few of the film stars. Excuse me. Uh, Notably, Pam Greer and Robert Forster. Uh, Robert Forster actually was in a pretty big slump, and it was his audition for Reservoir Dogs that actually brought him to Jackie Brown because Tarantino was impressed by Forster's audition for Reservoir Dogs, but he just the part that he auditioned for was um, Tarantino was so dead set on the actor he chose, Lawrence Tierney, that there was no way anyone else was getting it so he kind of tailored Max Cherry when he was writing it he wrote it with Robert Forrester in mind, Um, so he's almost essentially guaranteed the part but uh so basically my biggest question when watching this movie and i think the biggest question that a lot of people have in fact the interview that i one of the interviews i read this was literally the first question the interviewer asked was why did he follow up pulp fiction with jackie brown um and i'm not i'm not saying that because jackie brown's is a crappy movie i'm I'm just i'm saying like (laughs) After, but, Tarant- but you have to say that I
3: know because of <laughs> kind of the way like, I said it's not it, you know? it,
2: yeah. No, but because it's not his best movie.
0: Well, because you okay, when he made Pulp Fiction, the world was his oyster, he could have made any movie he wanted to after that because literally the only thing people were asking were, was What are you making after Pulp Fiction? What's next? What can we attach your name to? What can we invest in? What can we, what can we make money off of? what is after Pulp Fiction? And he chose, and this was a couple years after Pulp Fiction too, because he took a year, at least a year to just write uh, Jackie Brown. But, like, he chose this super subdued, essentially non-violent, talkative hangout. I mean, he even describes it as a hangout movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of like sort of crime thriller a la like, you know, Reservoir Dogs. But it's so contrasted from Pulp Fiction that it was like, why? You know, why did it happen at that time? You know what I mean? Why didn't Kill Bill come earlier or something? You know what I mean? Or, or Pulp Fiction 2.0 or something. Um, So I actually found an answer to this question in an interview Ooh. You guys, you that's know, are you trying to speculate or something beforehand
1: or? Um, no.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I, yeah, I have a pretty good know. idea, I guess. I don't know. Let's hear it. Uh, I think. I don't know. I, I think I heard that, like, he. He, uh. Because I know that was a big thing, was that he. I mean, I know that the critics kind of talked to him. Well, not talk to him, but they they said Actually, in *Pulp Fiction*. I, I, I want to guess after this. In like I, *Reservoir I Dogs*, like that. That he he, you know, it was it, all his films are violent, and what like what else is he going to bring, right? And I, I kind of felt that he, I think, he kind of wanted to make something that was more, um, not not to necessarily like show the critics like what. Like, I can do more than this, right? He Not didn't to... want to
0: be a uh, one-trick pony I... is what you're
1: saying. Right, yeah, he didn't want, yeah, exactly. He didn't want to be, like, which I think was super he, smart on his end. He didn't want to p- pigeonholed. End. Yeah, yeah, exactly. pigeonholed. Yeah, At the same time, I think, like, I think he maybe probably wanted to go back to something that he just really liked. And I don't know if the fact that coming up with something completely original was going to be something that he was maybe comfortable with. I don't know if he ever said that like that like if he said like if he said something like i don't know if i was to come up with something original that it right. might not it might not be successful so i'm gonna i'm gonna base my next screenplay on something that's already made i don't know if he ever said that but i'm I sure have he a, was feeling some pressure i kind of have a feeling that the pressure probably got to him so that's my that's my yeah. guess is the pressure
2: you wait i want to guess now i want to say that he yes maybe he didn't w- want to get pigeonholed but um that that's that's actually what my guess is but i'm gonna say just for the sake of the game that he wanted to adapt someone else's work and that is it like he just wanted like he felt like he shared his writing with someone but i think he wanted to like he fell in love with this story and wanted to share that with the world and he he wanted to kind of Change has his process as far as like making a film,
1: yeah, like to become like a better writer, so I can see both of them yeah. I can see both to, of yeah, them yeah, I can see both too, but i 'm curious what
0: i 'm curious what the so answer. the answer is you 're both right, um, actually uh, I knew
3: it oh, the <laughs> in the interview he <laughs>
0: stated that he didn't he essentially what it boils down to is he didn 't want to get pigeonholed. and hold, and he also stated that. It was a different challenge, and he, he first of all he always wanted to do an Elmore Leonard novel because he loves the guy's novels, and after Pulp Fiction it allowed him to purchase three of the novels, uh, the rights to the novels, of three of Leonard's novels, and then uh, he also yeah it was the first time. And I think his only film that he adapted someone else's work, so it was sort of like a different way of going about things. And it kind of, like you said, it was kind of showing, like, I'm not just this guy who can do that. I can do other things or whatever. Screw you guys. That type of thing. So this was a a kind of a... It kind of came together where he wanted to do it anyway, and this was a good time to do it. Um, And then... He was kind of being rebellious against
2: the system. A little bit, yeah. Hollywood wants to put people into buckets, you know. Yep. Who, who's our guy who writes children's novels, you know. The, you, have a, you have a list, and you go down the list. All right. Yep. This guy does adaptations for children's novels. Who's our really violent guy? Tarantino. Yep. All right. Let's – uh Tarantino decides I'm – you know, I don't want to just do this one thing. Let's – uh Let's try something different.
0: And that's why the horror genre can be a tricky place if you're a filmmaker because horror directors tend to more than any other genre get pigeonholed into horror. And you're basically yeah. assumed that if you do horror, you can't do anything else, so stick to your little horror basically, you know.
2: Yeah. So. Did, did that happen to was it James Wan? Is he the big uh, horror guy?
0: But he did No, that was Justin Lin. Uh yeah, he was he's big into horror, but I think he's done other
1: I he's done yeah, he other I other think awesome. he's 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 uh, yeah, I want to say he's kind of in other, some other stuff, too. But, I, yeah, like right. you said, I get Justin Lin confused, too. Yeah. Because I think I, Justin yeah, Lin's done the Fast and confused. Furious yeah. stuff and Star Trek yeah, Beyond Justin, and stuff yeah. like that. Right.
0: Right. So, you know, just for the future, thinking about it, if you're a filmmaker out there and you really enjoy horror, then, you know, by all means, go for it. But just consider the fact that more than most genres, it's going to be way harder to break out
1: of the genre. I mean, look at Eli Roth. I mean, right. he's only done horror, you know. Yep. Blumhouse. I he, mean, some people does he only do horror because he loves it
0: or because See, yeah I'm not sure you know
2: what I mean and there's some I, I would think say, so. some
0: people embrace it I would say like Blumhouse Productions they just 100 percent embrace it they just do it didn't yeah. even care uh, so I mean if that's you then you know roll with it but just understand that it will be more difficult that's why a lot of filmmakers like a lot of filmmakers I feel like want to do horror. But they either they wait for a couple reasons. One of them being that if you can get some other stuff out there, you won't be considered a horror director necessarily. Yeah. You know
2: what I mean? Right. Like you don't want that label sort of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Because it's kind of like death.
1: I think like almost. doing a horror film like for your like second or third film would be maybe better maybe if better. you didn't want to be pigeonholed right. as a as a horror yeah. director. Right.
2: And yeah. also, I mean, whor- if you just don't want to be pigeonholed, then just you know make other shit you know what i mean like i know john august who's on script notes he he was the guy who would like come and write how to eat fried worms you know what i mean he'd do like these children book adaptations and that's the only work he was called on to do and then he wrote go and which is like it's a first it's like three different stories that are all first acts and it's about basically someone who's like trying to get drugs and it all takes place over a night and it was a big thing for his career because it opened up the possibility of him to work with yep. um other types of <coughs> stories and people suddenly could like see oh this person can actually do other things too so he started being considered for bigger jobs because of that yep so
0: yeah yeah so <clears throat> i mean it's it's not impossible to break out but you know just plan think about what you what you want to do you know and find the right people who can help you break into the things that you might want to do later but but getting pigeonholed
2: is like if you're an aspiring filmmaker that's a good thing like you know what i mean like if you get pigeonholed like That's awesome because that means that you're making stuff that is really good. You know what I mean? And people are, you're on a list. You know what I mean? That's better than not being on a list. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? If you're like, I don't, I'm afraid to make a horror film because I want to be pigeonholed, because I don't want to be pigeonholed, just fucking go make your horror film. Like, who cares at this point? Like, if you're not pigeonholed, don't worry about it. But Tarantino, who made two movies, both are huge successes. You know what I mean? Um, And very similar. He's right. afraid to get pigeonholed, but he just won an Oscar. So, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, he can be concerned about that. But if you're aspiring, then, like, don't fucking worry about
0: it. Just go make movies. Totally. You should just be making movies. Yeah, just do any I mean, love, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, uh, <clears throat> like I said already, he always wanted to do an Elmore Leonard novel. He got the rights to Rum Punch, Freaky Deaky, and Killshot. And he was actually about to pass off Rum Punch to another director uh, when he decided to reread it to kind of re-familiarize himself with it before handing it off to her. It actually would have been a female director, which is interesting. Uh, He reread it and then changed his mind. Uh, He said, quote, I saw the same movie I saw the first time when I read it. It just came back again. I thought I wanted to do this. I had forgotten the movie I had seen, and they just all popped up again. So that is how it came about. I owned it this time, so it was easier to do. So basically, initially when he read the book, he had this idea for a movie. It was all there, but for one reason or another, it just didn't, you know, he didn't feel it at the time, rereading it. It suddenly all kind of came back, and he, we have Jackie Brown, essentially. Um, in the interview, I pulled this quote from, he also goes on to state how the movie became a Pam Greer movie after he finally landed on her for the role. So I think that's really interesting. Like He didn't necessarily know, he knew the movie and what it was, but the introduction of Pam Greer as a person into it completely influenced the whole movie and made the movie about her. And I think you can kind of feel that in the movie, too. I like, like, she's got a strong presence, stronger than anyone else, you know, in the yeah, story. Yeah, she's kind of sure. leading it, almost. Yeah. And, like,
2: Tarantino movies are usually ensembles. And this is still an ensemble. Certainly. But you could kind of see her kind of dominating the whole story. I mean, like, and the story is about her winning, and it's about her going through it. You know what I mean? Like, she's the protagonist
1: of of the It's like the the first film where he really writes that strong female character. I mean, because Mia Wallace was a strong female character, but she, again, like, didn't... She wasn't the main protagonist, I mean. Right. So, like, this was the one where, like... You know, right before Kill Bill, who, you know, and then now, from now on, you know, Tarantino's known to write really strong, you know, um, women characters. Right.
0: And he actually describes her as a powerful woman who has a lot of movie baggage she carries that helps her better embody this idea. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, I actually really like that term, movie baggage. I think it's a a term that we don't think about. What does he mean by that? What What is movie baggage? Basically, he's saying, like... If you're an actor or an actress who has okay, like let's say Christian Bale like, like a veteran for example. Yeah. Like you know all the movies that he came that came before him, so he carries all of that with him, so you have a certain perception of who the person is in the role and Sure.
2: Or like, like the rock. Right. Like everyone knows. Like, it's talking about, like, okay. what this character is kind of going to bring to it. If you were to cast
0: The Rock in an extremely dramatic, heartfelt role right now, you would immediately think about all the movies he's made before that and how that helps shape your perception of him in the right. movie. Yep. Pam Greer had a career of badass, you know, uh, characters in in exploitation cinema and she was always a powerful woman so that allowed her to bring this sense of power to her role as Jackie Brown and you know you kind of have this perception of her as someone who who can lead a film and who does lead the film and who influences all the other men in the film to play against each other you know what i mean
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I like that.
2: I like that term a lot. Yeah, movie baggage. I Mm -hmm. like it.
0: And it's not, not at all a negative term. I mean, it can be, but it's not necessarily a negative term.
1: And it's almost, it's, it's kind of related to like character actor, you know, too. Yeah. Exactly. But like, like Michael Caine isn't really like a character actor, but yet his movie baggage allows him to kind of like, same with like you know Anthony Hopkins, where because of his previous roles, you're like, okay, he's wise, you know, or you know, he like, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You like it? (laughs) Yeah.
2: No. Exactly. And that kind of goes along with being pigeonholed almost like, yeah, y- you almost you almost kind of see it with directors too. like, like Tarantino has movie bag. Like when you go see his movie, it's kind of like his new movie or uh, here. Here's a better example. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan. You know what I mean? He his movie baggage is like telling you, hey, there's going to be this certain thing that's going to happen in the movie. So it's kind of like, you know, what you're signing up for sort of a thing but i think it's interesting to talk about it about an actor because it's essentially saying here are these givens that that were allowed um you know like like if you're making a sci-fi movie cars can fly you know what i mean that's just you don't need to explain it that just is what it is but if um if you have uh, uh this character with this kind of character, what, what movie baggage, you you get a lot of those givens like cars can fly, or you know, you, you automatically kind of assume that this person is going to be in a role that is um, related to their previous roles. You know what I mean? And kind of helps you understand, kind of like Unfor- Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven. Like if you don't see any Western Clint Eastwood Western movies and then watch Unforgiven that beginning is probably the most boring <laughs> yeah. movie ever because like you don't get like the whole history of westerns that kind of come with unforgiven because he's just sitting there on a farm doing nothing and he's trying to get on a horse and he can't because he's too old yeah, but exactly. if you have that movie baggage then <laughs> it's like wow this is so cool like he's a western he like prodigy like he's been on all these western movies and now look he's old and he's like trying to get back to it and it just kind of honestly, that's what kind of works for Yeah, that's this such this a perfect movie
1: baggage thing. That's such a perfect example really of movie baggage, the unforgiven Clint Eastwood one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
2: And that took me a while to get to it, but yes, that <laughs> is topic that is there. the that yes, that is it.
0: Uh but that's why when we hear casting choices at the beginning of when films are in pre-production, a lot of people start scratching their heads sometimes and they're like Really, you're gonna cast that person because the movie bag? You know what the person's carrying with them for their whole movie career? Yeah, you
2: know, at Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love, that's yeah, Yeah, head scratcher. And then you see it, and you're like, it's his best performance. It it works, you know. Like the movie baggage, I think, helps his performance there, or not the performance. It helps my
1: enjoyment of the movie. Like it makes it it works for me my personal favorite is uh vin diesel and the babysitter no i'm just kidding mm-hmm. i'm kidding well, uh, that one actually pacifier the pacifier. Yeah, the pacifier see i haven't even seen the movie yet. Like, exactly. we both knew that that's awesome i haven't even seen it yet so.
2: my uh that's that's one of my family's favorite movies is and it actually, really yeah we we watch it i i've probably seen it like 10 times i actually really enjoy it
1: like is it good
2: um I wouldn't recommend it to people who love, love, love movies, but, um, like, you guys, I don't think I'd recommend it to you guys, but I would (laughs) recommend it to, like, people who want, like, a family movie that's uh, about, you know... A pretty traditional like characters overcoming something and 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 um you know maybe they don't like each other at first but they like each other at the end oh, so okay, it's kinda, yeah. it's a really
1: feel good it's like cr- crowd pleaser
2: yeah clearly yeah. It, yeah it's it's a crowd
1: pleaser it, pass- and it, it has it pacifies the audience it, it
2: pacifies <laughs> <laughs>
1: and
2: it, it's very it's just very warm it's just a warm movie you know what I mean
0: like it's it's I mean, well awesome. that's good you know those movies yeah. need to exist so it's cool yeah I and mean, people people like it yeah exactly yeah. So. they're good. Yeah. Yeah, I think another example, too, is um, Heath Ledger as the Joker. No one thought that he could pull that off at all. Because of person. his movie baggage. Yep. Yes. Exactly. Good. Exactly. Yeah. So, especially God, since. Movie baggage. Well, he did. Didn't did he do Brokeback Mountain, like, right before he that? He did, yes. yeah, because I think
1: that came out 2005, 2006, I think, yeah. So, I mean, that was yeah. a
0: hefty recent baggage that he had. Yeah. You know? Because that,
2: that, was, that was a, not a small movie (laughs) no exactly in
0: the end it wasn't a small movie yeah and he's hailed as like the greatest Joker ever you know except for maybe Mark Hamill I guess but that's kind right. of more of a voice That's thing, for the but,
2: super nerds, though. Yeah. The super nerds like right. Mark. Actually, I like Mark Hamill's laugh. I've seen YouTube videos, but yeah. I'm
0: not at <laughs> it. But when you speaker. think of the Joker now, it's like you don't think of Jack Nicholson. You think of yeah, Heath you think Ledger, of or ledger or even yeah. Jared Leto. I mean, he kind of did a pretty good job as a Joker, too, but I think Heath Ledger is kind of yeah. the Joker now. I, I felt like Jared
2: Leto, like, I thought he did fine as the Joker. I, I just thought that the story, like, I he didn't need to be in that movie or he needed to be the reason why that movie existed. But they just had Yeah, they had chopped him in the too movie. much of him out. Yeah,
1: I, I really liked him as a Joker. Like, I, I yeah. really liked him as a Joker, but I, I felt like, yeah, he needed his own movie or they needed to focus on his character more in the movie, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. like, it needed to be about getting the Joker, like, instead yeah. of
2: about the witch yeah. thing. Or Which, he just shouldn't yeah. be in
1: the movie. Which I guess, like... They filmed a whole bunch more, but they just didn't add it in. And they didn't even add it in in the extended cut either. So I was like, what the hell?
0: That's really – that's what <laughs> everyone was banking
1: on yeah, was having all yeah, this stuff yeah. added
2: in. Huh. Yeah, because I remember everyone was so excited. They're like, oh, they're doing an extended cut. And then I, that was the last I heard of it. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> yeah. Because it wasn't what people wanted. No. So. Even my buddy who's like die-hard Batman uh, guy, he's super awesome. Um, he was like, yeah – <laughs> so the extended edition. He's like, I like it more, but yeah, it's better, but it has still like so many issues. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's sucks. one of those ones where producer and director hell man really influenced the movie negatively. Is that is that what happened with that movie? I mean, it was it was a producer. It was like I think, I from my understanding, this is all speculation. The director had a, a solid idea that everyone thought was good, and then producers got involved and essentially yeah. chopped a bunch of shit out. But and what's
1: kind of weird about it is the director David something rather right? I forget is David Ayer. Yeah. He actually yes. liked the, the final cut, which is weird.
0: I mean
2: but he's know. getting
1: he, he knew he, he was he had a fat check in the his bank account yeah, <laughs> I, know, yeah. So. he was
2: yeah. <laughs> he, uh, skewed opinion
0: a
3: little bit yeah, yeah
0: for so. however many millions of dollars a lot of people will say that fucking shit tastes good so yeah you know whatever yeah. it does taste good if you have a exploding bake account
2: you know like exactly. if you have to have to open a third gringotts vault yeah. <laughs>
1: then shit tastes good <laughs> nice uh, i
3: actually harry been watching potter.
1: those again oh uh, yeah we should probably get back on jackie brown but i've been totally watching the yeah. harry potter movies again <laughs> <laughs>
3: well,
0: well we, might, awesome. we probably might have to bring those up at some point because it's kind of a it's too big of a movie series to not talk about at some point. It's a big
2: deal. Plus, it's yeah. like our generation, too. Yeah, so for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah, relevant. So in this film, we come across more of Tarantino-isms, Tarantino's specials, his staples, whatever you want to call it, his patterns. Um, we'll get the trunk shot again. This oh, was, yeah, the trunk shot. I was just going to that up. Yeah. That. And actually, in this movie, they spend way more time sitting on the trunk shot when it's uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Chris Tucker going back and forth. Yes. Um, i like that scene that's a great scene that's <laughs> yeah it's awesome yeah. Great scene. um we get the foot shot again which i wrote down was it the first one no it wasn't me, me wallace obviously um talkative killers again oh uh especially samuel L. jackson's character is this really shady i mean they even say that he thinks he's some like you know serious international arms dealer like he's just a really shady guy and he's easy easy to kill people de niro um, uh, was just got out of prison, I guess, was his character and he was willing to just shoot the to shoot uh Bridget Fonda's character just right away. Um and yet you have Ordell, Roby, Robbie, Robbie, Samuel Jackson talking about all sorts of mundane stuff. Um <laughs> That's the A K forty-seven. Yeah, I was
1: gonna say A K <laughs> yeah his way of his way of talking. Um, and kill any motherfucker in the room. <laughs> oh yeah, you absolutely need to kill every motherfucker in the room. Yeah. <laughs> great line,
2: great line. When okay. I, when I was watching this movie, I was like, "Wow, Samuel Jackson's character. This is. It felt so similar to like the character in Kingsman: Secret Service, and like I don't know. It just for for me, it just kind of felt. I mean, obviously, he's, like, a big evil person in Kingsman Secret Service. But, like, just the his, like, cadence and, like, the way he talks um, <laughs> felt so similar. And I felt like maybe Samuel L. Jackson was like, this is too... I'm theorizing here, so I don't know. But maybe he thought, this is too similar to my Jackie Brown character. So I'm going to add a lisp uh, into his Kingsman character. So I don't know. I just... I thought that would, that kind of crossed my mind. Because they, they just just seem so similar to me.
0: Totally. And actually... Um Going back to our conversation about character profiles, I guess the whole look that Samuel L. Jackson has in the movie was all him. Like, he is the one who developed what that character looked like. The long hair, what he wore, how he acted, stuff like that was all kind of on him.
1: His hair is awesome. It's His hair awesome. is
0: ridiculous, yeah. dude. Ridic- <laughs> I know. It's so cool. My girlfriend said he looked like something, and I can't remember what he said. <laughs> that, just like... Uh
1: It's just, uh, I don't know. I don't. uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. His like his hairstyles in all of Tarantino's films are just hilarious. Like Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and then Django and Jane. Like oh man, yes, I love his hair. Yeah, exactly.
2: I'm curious, like, because we were talking about this earlier about how Tarantino is more than likely the type of person who goes through writes each character, does character profiles on on each person, like religiously, you know what I mean? Um but in this movie it, it it almost feels like again, this is totally me speculating, like I don't actually know, but it almost feels like he isn't doing that as much. Like it it, it almost felt like um the actors were Allowed to bring more to the characters than what maybe they could normally bring on a Tarantino movie. And I I feel like maybe that was because he wanted to do something different. Like he wanted to approach it with a different kind of style. But I'm totally speculating. I don't actually know it just feels that way to me. According to 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 him
0: Well according to him, he went to an like an all black like high school or something, like or some Either middle school or high school. So essentially what he's saying is that he has a lot of experience, like, being around and being, like, friends with and involved with, like, a predominantly black population. So I'm actually almost wondering if it's the opposite of what you said, where, like, he knew so much about it or enough about it from his own past that it felt so normal and natural
1: you know what I mean yeah yeah that's interesting I feel like it's probably like a combination because like I feel like because of the caliber of actors in Jackie Brown you got Samuel L. Jackson you got you know Robert De Niro who's Fucking legend, even you know in nineteen you At know ninety seven. Yeah, ta- yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Talk about movie bag. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like you know, um Bridget Fonda, Pam, um, Greer. Pam Greer. I mean, you have all these people. Michael Keaton, Robert Forster, whose career is just yeah. extremely. I mean, it's just massive. How many films he's in? So like you have all these people that are f- veterans. You know, actor veterans, and and I feel that I think Tarantino let them breathe a little bit. Um However. The characters and in the in the dialogue and stuff, like you said, seems natural, like as if they were maybe more natural than, say, um, the, the, the crime well, the other ones. You the know, vibe you're like trying to talk. get yeah. is a
0: hangout vibe. So, of course, yeah, yeah. The, you're going to get this vibe where the, the, the dialogue is more naturally flowing. Like with us, we're like we can go across certain topics and conversations, you know, just fine because it's yeah. just no, not normally how people talk, you know. Um so i don 't know if specifically how much you know it's it 's always a back and forth right like the director has what he wants, and the actors can help inform that, but they also have what they want and their own ideas so mm-hmm. you know it's that 's why film is collaborative and you you get to an end point together usually um, I, I had this, i don 't know why I thought this, but I, I just want to bring this up to you guys and see what you think about this um, first of all, I want to ask. Do you guys know when the OJ trial was? That... W- I should have looked this oh up Oh my beforehand. gosh, you know, honestly, I think it's probably around the same time. It, was it right around the same time, right? It wasn't like the 80s or anything, right? No, it was like mid-90s. That's what I thought. i um, wow, looking it. it up. Okay, yeah, do a quick look
1: up. 1995, October 3rd oh, so it was the trial right be- was decided.
0: Right beforehand. Yeah. Okay.
1: Because this was released least in right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so this this is not me just thinking on my ass here. The shot where Samuel Jackson is about to kill Chris Tucker's character. Okay, where he's yep. he's pulled around or he hasn't pulled the, around the white shot. The white shot. No, no, shot. not the white shot. When he's just sitting oh. in the car and he's putting on the gloves.
1: Oh, that's I my favorite. This. That's my favorite. That's one of my favorite cuts in the air scenes in the entire movie. It's a
0: really interesting character yeah. thing. But I was thinking is that supposed to be some sort of small call? every <laughs> time OJ. Like Holy shit! Because he struggles to put the gloves on because they're like almost too small. But we get this really. Ob- you see Samuel Jackson's face, and you see the gloved hand, and that's right. basically everything else is blurred out.
2: Yeah, it's like clo- yeah, it's very intimate and it's closed off. Sort it of is. Thing. Jo- very,
1: Johnny Cash is yeah. playing, right? Very deliberate
0: uh i can't remember the song but yes correct you're correct deliberate and it's kind of another tarantinoism where he's kind of got this cognitive different dissonance between the music playing and the extreme violence and stuff like that but i just i looked at that and was like rolling off of the oj trial if it was around the same time that had to have been some sort of call to it
1: yeah. because it's just he's it's, it's a white like, car right
0: no it's not a white car it's a it's a black car that he drives, although everything else that he owns is white. Oh, okay, um, cool. But, cool. Uh, no, it's a black car, and it, they spend, like, a minute and a half with him just trying to put fucking gloves on, <laughs> standing <laughs> off in the distance, and I'm just like, okay, like, this has to be something. But I don't know. It's, uh, maybe this, maybe is re- isn't. But. That's
2: actually really interesting, considering he's... Paying homage to like
1: black exploitation movie, mm-hmm. like stuff. You know what it I, was mean? A, like, I mean? Like, and OJ was in a few films. You know, yeah, so.
0: he was. Yeah, and then he also pops off Samuel L. Jackson's character pops off two shots. You know, if you really think about how brutal of a killing that is, how much you know, like, kind of compare it to the O.J. killings how it was brutal he walked essentially you know it's claimed that he walked in and shot
1: killed two people And I mean even know, his buddy O.J. Simpson's buddy though, the, guy, the guy that was like living in his house at the time he he had like the lo- he had like long hair and everything which is yeah. just like robertson
0: here he was kind of a his buddy was sort of a he was a uh, surfer bum, right? Essentially a fuck up who had no life besides living in OJ's um, guesthouse.
1: Yeah, which where. is kind of like De Niro in a way. Just got out of prison, you know. Yeah. This...
0: And also sort of like Chris Tucker's character too, yeah. who's also <laughs> like this fuck up who, dude, I don't want to do work. I just want to get high. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> right. So I don't know. It, it just really struck me this watching this again and seeing
1: that it was just like, holy shit! That's like, so weird. I've never thought of it like that. That's so interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. So. Just things to things
0: to look at. I mean, honestly, I don't know how much Ordell Robbie's character, because it's based off the book too, right? But, it, you know, that helped, could have helped inform it a little bit, his straight-up just brutality, you know, and then his ability to turn around and smile kind of after
1: Yeah, it. for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm curious if, if that was in the novel.
2: You know what I mean? I wonder, like, maybe...
1: When was the novel written? I'm not sure than- It's got to be okay. in the like anywhere from the 50s to the 70s, I think. Nin- oh, 1992. Really was when the novel was made? Yeah. Wow, so it was right beforehand. That's wow. weird. So wait, when when what? did OJ start That's bizarre.
0: I mean, how long did that trial last? I don't even know. I know I point doubt point. the novelist had a scene in there where he takes a bunch of time to put on a glove. Or a couple of gloves, you know, his pairs of pair of gloves or whatever. Right. Well even if even if he
2: did, um the you know, they even if he did, they kept it for a reason. And um I think how that scene kind of serves the story is really interesting. Um but it it also almost seems like out like not within Samuel L. Jackson's character because he's kind of like this powerful guy who is really expressive and he like brags to everyone about you know what he um, does and you know he's very like in your face about it sort of a thing Um, but then there's just a scene of him struggling to get a glove on like why does he even bother with a glove at all like wouldn't he just shoot him yeah, you'd think, right? Because like the shock—he he, kind
1: of he's carrying his gun around everywhere. You he, know what I mean? And but he, ca- he cares so much about his car. You know, he's talking about his stereo. He's talking about like
0: which makes no sense considering he just blew someone's brains out in the back of his fucking car. I
1: know, right? I know. <laughs> like I was thinking that. Like,
0: how are you gonna clean that up, dude? What are you doing? Like, what? Yeah. What, what the. F-
2: what? Well, we know how they cleaned that up because that—that's in Pulp Fiction. That's so. true. That's that's true. Or, yeah, we we true. know how that works.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is okay. So if the novel was written, then then I don't. We don't know exactly how long that novel took to get be written, right? But it's certainly possible that because the OJ thing was so nationally known that it did yeah. influence that character, that novel, and then even Well, again, the novel Tarantino. came out like
2: two years before the trial was like happening.
0: But that trial took a long time to do, so it, it, I, I don't remember exactly when. I thought it was like 91 or something that the actual like murder or whatever took place or the killing. Oh, took no place. I, I don't, oh, no okay. shit. I don't know. I don't, don't quote me. I, on don't, that. I don't know enough yet. about the timeline on that. Sure. But what I'm saying is if it didn't influence the book, then maybe it influenced Tarantino and then it, it kind of you know, all culminated in jackie brown but yeah it was just a weird thing that i noticed this time around the murders
2: happened i I just looked up the murders happened after the book oh okay came out but that's still i I think you're you're still onto something because they did keep it in the movie for a reason so even if the books wasn't in didn't have that intent maybe the movie had that intent you know what i mean
1: yeah and if it wasn't tarantino it could have been um uh, Samuel Samuel exactly. Jackson, and then Tarantino's like, gosh, I like that scene. You know, let's do it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe
2: maybe it kind of helped like people understand the character a little bit. Like, hey, this is someone you're s- that is, o- you know, O.J. Simpson esque. You know, like they're they're kind of adopting, which, which uh, that is. It seems like something that is something that Tarantino would do. Like it's, it's like he's drawing from, um, in a a lot of ways from mundane situations, mundane conversations, and then bringing like a really like heightened violence to that. But he's almost doing a combination of that here where it's like, Oh, here's this regular person who did this extremely violent thing. Um, and he's, and he's kind of setting up the Samuel Jackson's character to that I mean, if, if that is what they were doing. But, I, I mean, I feel like audiences would l- watch that and be like, O.J., I
1: mean, you know what I mean? Because that's cause, on everyone's mind. Well, it's funny because, like, before this whole O.J. thing came up, I always thought of that film as, that's Tarantino, or that scene, as Tarantino, like, really, it's a hangout movie, right? So, when Chris Tucker's voice is silenced. Yes. And you're just sitting there with Samuel L. Jackson hanging out with him it not only d- does it build up tension because you're like okay what is he going to do why is the camera still on it like or, are we going to see what he's going to do with this like what what's what what is Jackson going to do uh, or or Dell um and then two like Tarantino just kind of going out of his way to be like you know what let's just let's hang out let's hang out let's see what yeah. this character does let's mm-hmm. give him some breathing room let's let's hang out maybe we'll get to See a little bit more about this character than if we just cut away, right? Um, you know, just, there's different things, and that's how I always viewed it. But you know, it it, it, it could it's very possible. It's like a combination of all that. It yeah. was just interesting, and yeah. I'm glad we you, you brought that up, Keith, because like I had, I mean, I uh, had not thought of that at all like not at yeah. all <laughs> like, that's really that's interesting yeah. yeah I think that's re- it a puts a whole other spin part. on it I mean in fact yeah. the Edo could really put a whole spin on the whole movie oh yeah you know
0: I mean if, if yeah. it is based off that it kind of informs his whole character throughout yeah. the movie for sure yeah um, and then uh, one other thing I kind of wanted to point out too real quick because I kind of want to wrap this up here soon is um, the shot where he's talking to Chris Tucker and they just come out of the apartment because he's told them that he's got a job for him or whatever it's, like, super reminiscent to the beginning of Pulp Fiction. Right. Almost a direct call to his own movie, which yeah. I thought was weird. Because <laughs> they do this really long, like, steady cam shot or whatever, and then, like, they're talking. this like, super, like, yeah, I got this arms dealer out there or whatever. I'm going to sell these guns. Blah, 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 blah. And then it's, like, this huge spurt of, like, you know, and he just fucking rocked him in the fucking trunk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of this weird... <laughs> this dichotomy that Tarantino likes to create, so I, I thought that was kind of an interesting nod to his own film. It's cool because yeah. I think he it like, funny.
1: yeah, he uses it. But he like it's funny because like in Pulp Fiction, they they go to a uh, you know this room and then they kill some people there, right? Yeah. Whereas this is it's. They go to the room, but that doesn't happen. But then the, the the guy that he's having the discussion with or this conversation with dies, you yeah. know, he kills him. Like, yeah. it's kind, of like yeah. kind of like a kind wink, like, ha-ha, gotcha. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's almost like you were expecting
2: him to do it there, and then it's like, hey, he's actually going to do it later. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is kind of like what the movie is. Like, a lot of the deaths are, not, I, I don't want to say drawn out, but, like, it, it takes a while to get there for... All the deaths in this movie, except for... Well, I guess even when Samuel L. Jackson dies at the end, even that's drawn out because you see her like practicing with the gun, and then you know what I mean, like before (laughs) like pulling the gun out on him and stuff like that. um, You see her waiting
0: around for him to come, like yes,
1: yeah, yeah. and she's like practicing, yeah, which um, kind of mirrors that whole sitting in the car putting the glove on too, you know, like there's there's like these moments that the film takes that I just love. That's that's what I really like about um, Jackie Brown. I think the most is that. It seems like it's his most. It's the film that he has that 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 he's made that has the most like breathing room, you know. Because like in *Glorious*, yeah. *Glorious Bastards* has a lot of conversations and stuff like that, and there's the whole you know sequence in the German tavern and stuff, right? That it's a little bit more breathing room because the, there's stuff going on, but at the same time, there's a plot, there's a mission, there's. It, you know there's there's stuff that's always always furthering yeah. there, but there's an urgency to right. it right whereas yeah. you know Jackie Brown and, and is more of like yeah like the, the second third fourth fifth sixth time you watch the movie you are basically watching the movie because you want to just hang out with the characters again you that's know
0: that's almost <laughs> literally yeah. what he said about his own movie
1: actually oh, awesome <laughs> yeah so it's it's well, you caught on onto that someone's sure. been reading the Tarantino books <laughs> well over i mean there. it's funny cuz it's like it's like uh dazed and confused because Yes. Dazed and Confused It's yeah. like you It's like how, You're not watching that movie Because you want to see What happens You're watching it Because the characters are awesome And you want to You want to just like Listen to them Or recite the dialogue Or listen to yeah. You know
2: what I mean Like, you like You want to be friends with them Right
1: yeah, yeah. So, and it's like it's that type of movie, and and that's what I and honestly, it's one of the big reasons why I love *Inglourious Best, or uh, *Tarantino* in general. Is just you just want to hang out with all of his characters, even even if the, even the bad ones. You just want to you just want to hang out and just yeah. listen to them, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: even with, even like with the *Ultraviolence* or whatever, like the movies are so watchable, you just kind of always yeah. watch them again for sure. Yeah, for sure. And what, uh, what did I you guys agree? Th- oh, good because I, I was just going to say real quick because I, I shift this right into reviews with this too. Um, it's like his most thoughtful... The one that comes off is the most thoughtful, Yeah, I think too, and that's in the same vein of what you're talking about. I um, mean, I definitely think that it's easily his most underrated movie by a long shot. I mean, say, say whatever you want to say about Death Proof, but I think this one is like... I you know You can almost go so far as to call it a masterpiece, like an underrated masterpiece, but it's certainly way more underrated than it needs to be and like it, it's definitely to him at his finest and even for three sure. films deep like that's crazy to be saying <laughs> yeah.
2: that, you know
0: this is uh, <laughs> right i uh, mean still yeah
2: even for a third movie this is fucking good you yeah, know what i mean definitely um, it was good oh movie. yeah <laughs> but what did you guys i so i i'm not sure i saw at the very beginning it was like the scene where she's like going down the airport where Jackie Brown's going down, like, the airport thing. Is that a, like, an homage to The Graduate? Or just, like, were they just, hey, let's do that shot in The Graduate? Or was there some other reference that I wasn't picking up on?
0: Because he literally says that exact, like, talks about that exact shot. And uh, it's a, I want to say he said it was a callback to the way certain, like, exploitation films played out um right like in the credit sequences yeah like, like the, kinda... the opening opening credit sequence and he actually right. it's really interesting how he describes that too because he's like you the whole sequence was so heavily planned out like you get this idea of her coming in and she's got this air about her where she looks like you know she's already a badass he's kind of he called her I think like a like a A a god of, you know, women Or a goddess, essentially, kind of Where she exudes all this strength And then as the scene continues to play out You kind of realize, okay She's actually At an airport And she's actually she's actually running to her job and she's actually late for her job. And it's like, she might actually lose her job. Like she's actually struggling. Right. She's not like in this <laughs> position of power. So it's like this, this, you start at this point where you have this perception of her as this really strong individual. And then you move to the, to essentially the grounded point. You know what I mean? Where, where the story begins.
2: That's um, really interesting. Cause that goes in line with our, with the movie baggage thing. Like, cause she, she is kind of standing there and she does look kind of badass um i guess i guess you could say that but i feel like the movie baggage really informs that and then i think you're right like as the credit sequence kind of carries on it it then turns into you know oh that all this movie baggage that you thought was relevant like nope like it it, (laughs) she's actually just a you know flight attendant and you know she's running to so she you know and so I think that's kind of interesting how it kind of like takes that movie baggage and goes, Bloop, you know what I mean? Um, just kind of flips it right on its right on its head. There, that's pretty. I, I didn't th- I didn't I didn't think about that. And I think that's because I don't know much about her as an actress. I don't think I've seen any of her movies before.
0: I mean, but, uh, you got know, to watch from like the seventies and whatnot to really. Yeah, watch exactly. Her yeah,
2: they're they're older. Yeah, older references. Women in cages. <laughs> Uh, I'm not talking about your home videos. Oh <laughs> no, she but she was in that
1: movie <laughs> for Women in Cages is pretty good. Oh, that was a movie that she was in? Yeah, yeah, it's like this oh, like, yeah, sure. sexploitation sex exploitation kind of movie. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's good. They actually reference it in um uh, Planet Terror. Oh, yeah. When so when um it's actually playing when uh, Tarantino he's that guard. He he plays that guard and uh the, the the main characters in Planet Terror, they're all in the the cell there um, at the like military base, and they're watching women in cages. Tarantino and his like other guards are watching women in cages, um, <laughs> and then like they, yeah, I don't know, that's like okay, that's pretty funny. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you can tell it's like, hey, we we really like this
3: movie. So
0: yeah, <laughs> here we go. Here's in. here's what I read earlier. Uh, This is a direct quote from the interview. Uh, This is Tarantino talking. One of the things I liked about the opening credit sequence is if you are familiar with Pam's movies, a whole lot of them start with Pam just walking and beholding the glory that is Pam. I thought, okay, I'll make the greatest Pam Greer opening sequence of all time. I think I pulled it off, actually. The structure of it is very interesting. It is not supposed to be naked to the eye, but it starts off that she is on the conveyor belt, and you see her. You are drinking her in. You are taking her in, and she is walking down the airport, and she just looks like the baddest creature a guy ever created. She has just got all this power and strength, and she is Foxy Brown 20 years later, and she is Coffee 20 years later, and she has all this womanness, and it is great. In the last part of it, you see she's running and running, and you realize she's just trying to get to work. She's not walking down the street to burn Harlem to the ground. She is a woman working in this world, and she is late for her job, and she's going to get fired if she does not get there. After the big badass opening credit sequence, two minutes later, she is serving peanuts. So it starts off as this mythical superhero figure, and then by the end of the credit sequence, we have brought it back down to earth.
1: It's misogynistic. I hate it. Oh my god. No, it's kidding. I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> no, but I, I love it because he pulled and literally in the in the paragraph right beforehand is when he talks about the movie baggage and he's like she just is what it is you know we're we're taking those characters that were her that you know her from smashing it all into one and giving you her 20 years later and she's still just as you know strong Pam Greer as before
1: it's so cool because like Tarantino is so good at like references and not only references where he's actually referencing the title or a character name of a movie within his movie, but he references his own movies by having the same Red Apple cigarettes, the same Acuna boys, you know, uh, labels and and stuff, and the same characters, you know, um, and yeah. you know, like like the, the uh, Michael Keaton's character in. Jackie Brown is the same... He plays the same character in uh, Out of Sight, directed by uh, Steven Soderbergh. Mm-hmm. It's the same character. And, I mean, that movie was made after Jackie Brown. But, like, like it, there's all these references that go back and forth between films that are made after, made before, um, it, during, you know. He shares the same Tarantino universe with Rodriguez, you know. This is, like, there's so much stuff that's like in his films to appreciate um and the movie baggage stuff goes right right along with it. Yep. It's just really cool. Yeah, you know. He yeah, recognizes it sure. and he uses it. Yeah. And I
0: I love this too in the paragraph right before where he's also talking, he actually he says it is not a black exploitation film. Having said that, Pam is such an icon. To one degree or another, it is like casting John Wayne in a movie. So he actually compares her <laughs> to John Wayne.
1: Super interesting. Yeah, he has such big respect for her. I mean, like yeah,
0: totally does. He actually goes on to say that coffee, or I don't know if it's Kofi or coffee. I assume it's coffee. I think it's coffee. Is yeah, is one of his favorite movies. So yeah, it's. I'm sure it was sort of a a fan. You know, live in a fan's dream.
2: Being yeah, able to yeah. Work with her finally, after watching all <laughs> the, right. the movies and yeah. stuff.
0: <laughs> that's pretty cool,
2: actually. Because yeah. like, I don't think there's many. Like, you always hear all these people who are like, "Oh, I want to." make like the new Superman you know what I mean like all these people are like oh it's my dream to do Superman but here's a guy whose dream is to work with this person who made these really dope like sexploitation and black exploitation movies like yeah like who who is like that like there's <laughs> not a lot of people like that and I think that's why Tarantino's so cool is because it's like and he has this really interesting style is because he kind of just is who he is you know what i mean yeah, yeah. yeah. so he, he's kind of a no bullshit kind of I'm, he's <laughs> definitely a no bullshit kind of guy man like he's, <laughs> for sure he does not fuck around but uh <laughs> um yeah I, I think that's super fascinating and it honestly it makes me want to go back and watch these movies that he's talking about Or like yep. cause now i want to get jackie brown and i, f- I feel like part of me didn't like Underst- like, you know, when I first watched it and was like, I don't want to watch this, it's because I didn't get it. Like, I had no history of who this person was. Right. I I had, you know, I know who Samuel Jackson was because, you know, snakes on a plane, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, like... Yeah, it just oh, that just makes me want to go back and learn more. You know, you know. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we're doing this. Bloxploitation exploitation is on our list of stuff to talk about for sure. So we I know will I'm be really excited it. for that. Yeah, yeah. Speaking I, of, we should watch two that I haven't seen. So that way, that way. Well, I, I haven't seen more.
0: like any either. So you know, it'll be good for. I've always, seen like I've seen like four. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so I've barely
1: d- dove, in. and a lot of those are like recent. You know, there's oh. like white mom white. White Mama, Black Mama, or White Mamba, <laughs> I Black Mamba, or something like that. That's a pretty good I'm one, not, Pam Grier.
0: I'm not familiar, but, you know, the, yeah, it's something we can hash out and figure out exactly. Yeah, we definitely need to or, do that. Because we got stuff planned, so it's a little bit further in the future.
2: Yes. Um, so should, should we do reviews now?
0: Well, I, we're press, pressing the time, so I, we kind of already did. I mean, I think we all like Jackie Brown. We all like Reservoir Dogs, you know what I mean? So... I don't know how much we need to review, As
2: I hated
0: Byron in this episode. That's my yeah, only review.
2: My only review.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I succeeded in my, <laughs> in my plan. Screw
0: you. <laughs> no, but, uh, we'll continue with our Tarantino discussion next week, so don't worry. There will be a whole lot more Tarantino here coming up. Um, if you have any questions, topic suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, send an email over to Podcast at com. We're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. Our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner. It can be found at skinnyproducing.com. Uh, next week we'll be covering one film instead of two, kind of unusual, but uh, that film is Pulp Fiction. And I think the, the what, discussion... What is it? Pulp? Fult piction. <laughs> is this like a weird indie movie or what is it's it? It's kind of an older film. Um, it it may not be accessible to you. Is it, it black it might and be, white? You know, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not black and white. So uh, Yeah. What is know. it? F- it sounds foreign. Sounds.
3: <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> sounds foreign. It's definitely
1: foreign. There's a needle in it. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> <Ew. laughs> Drugs, drugs are being done the Hamburgers, milkshakes
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I like milkshakes yeah, The convertible Heroin Lots of
2: heroin, Ooh, that's yeah. the good stuff right there You guys have tagged me into <laughs> this weird movie that I've never heard
0: of Right,
1: yeah People dying so by the obscure. toilet <laughs>
0: <laughs> So obscure uh, So we'll be focusing and discussing the impact of the film Kind of the pre-post Pulp Fiction eras How the film was made um, Why Tarantino even had the idea for it Stuff like that so uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure our listeners have already seen this, but if you haven't, make sure you watch it to be a part of the discussion, guys. All right, thanks for listening. Happy
1: viewing. Thanks, everybody. Bye.